0: You tuned into the Combat Jack Show, and we are taking out you suckers, and you don't know how we yeah. did it, yeah. bitches. Listen, what's up, Premier what's B? What's going on, Combat? Man, I'm just so hyped, man. We on a roll right I, now. It, it, it doesn't stop. Are you focused, man? I'm super focused. Let me ask you something, man. Can't You've try. been here for, what, for how long now? Three, three, three and a half three. years? Yeah, about three and a half Is, years. Nice. What's your shift, man? What's the difference you feel, man? I I will say one thing. This boat never stop moves. Never
1: well never Never stop
0: moves what the fuck
1: yeah i i'm like fucking drunk (laughs) this boat has never stopped moving this train has never stopped moving this spaceship has never stopped flying so you know we have definitely changed different type of like you know the way we do things but yeah we've been on a roll
0: i just feel so focused man and and i'm really so excited uh to introduce our next guest to the combat jack show and it's funny because i've been after this this man is that a pause I've been trying to get this man on the show for about about two and a half years, (laughs) and the first times we connected, I guess I dropped the ball slightly and then realized how fucking difficult it is to lock him down. His schedule is so crazy. You are always working. Internets, before we get into this, let me introduce you to this man. This man is a rapper, producer, web designer, DJ. Photographer and he's just he prints money.
1: It's a motherfucking
0: Renaissance. <laughs> he man. prints money. It's a Renaissance. Oh, man. oh, 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 oh! And he he's also a human. Tr eight oh eight. Yeah. Internet. We welcome to the Combat Jack Show, Mister D. Nice. What's up, sir? I
1: need mean yeah. that. That's going to be my intro every day. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Yo, welcome to uh, the Combat
1: man, Jack ha- Show, man. I'm happy to be here, man. Yeah. Man. So
0: you're traveling the world, dude.
1: Yeah, bro. It's great. Seriously. I travel more now than I did when I was rapping and with BDP. It's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. I, couldn't even, I didn't even know this was going to happen.
0: Nobody knew this was going to happen.
1: Snuck up on them. That's... Now,
0: now I, I, earlier when we, when we communicated, you said you really didn't want to dwell on the past. And I don't want to dwell on the past either. But I find your story, your transition, this you becoming this renaissance, man, this hip-hop, cultural renaissance, man, so fascinating that we got to go back.
1: To I don't, get here, yeah, no, I don't mind going back to right. the past, but a lot of times when i when I do interviews, you know people want to stay in the b d p days right. and they don't you know, and it's like by the time we get to the end, it's like you know we kind of like breeze through what I'm doing now, which I feel is just as important as the b d p days and not it's not for more me. important yeah it's important for like for other artists from my era to right. know you can you can just do what you love, you know and still earn a living. And still be relevant, you know, and still contribute to the culture.
0: And don't have to be up in everybody's faces and everybody's videos and the whole nine.
1: Listen, let's go back to the very beginning. Yes, sir. Where were you born, man? I was born in Harlem, Harlem Hospital, uh, 1970, June 19th. Yeah, and and raised in the Bronx. Okay. Yeah.
0: Now, tell us about your household, man, because...
1: Oh, man, household, you know, I mean... Man, I feel like I'm on a couch. This is therapy right now. <laughs> That's um, what they say. Yeah. My mom had me when she was 18, so okay. she was way too young to raise me. So I was raised by my great-grandmother and um, until I was around 10 years old and, and lived with my mom for about a year. That wasn't, you know, it didn't work out. Um, and then I lived with my cousin who was uh, seven years older than I am. You know, she, she was pregnant at 17. And she had a kid and then i moved in with her so she pretty much had two kids and we lived in the bronx near yankee stadium on woodycrest okay and um, and and i lived there until the records came out you know so from the time i was like 11 until 17 18 in, in that same area yeah
0: was it dysfunction or was it or it was just was it survival like what was what was the like paint that picture
1: I mean, it wasn't, I wouldn't say it's dysfunction, you know, like I didn't live with my mom, so I don't even know what that feeling was like, you know, to me, my, my life was normal, you know, you know, living with my cousin, um, you know, I mean, there were some things that seemed normal then, but when I look back at it now, it's like, shit, we had credit at the corner store, right? you know, I did an interview like two, three weeks ago in back in that in front of that same store. And it was like, man, the same owners, you know, the the guy passed away, but, you know, his son is in still family, in the family. Right. And that was the store. I used to go and, yeah, this dude gave me credit, you know. <laughs> to, yo, was he trying to, you still owed it? Was he trying to collect for me? No, you know, we always paid up, though, because it, it was just love out there, you right. know, um, neighborhood love. Uh, and I grew up down the street from, like, Larry Davis. Mm. I mean, Larry, wait, yeah, Larry, wait, Larry Davis. Right. I get confused with Larry, David, and Davis, but. With uh, Larry Davis and um Walter Berry was in the neighborhood. Tracy Morgan, his brother and I used to break dance in the wow. lobby of my building. Right. Um as kids. So even like like right now, Tracy and I are still friends and um oh, Walter and I are still friends and um you know I didn't
0: I didn't know Tracy was from the Bronx.
1: I think he was from Brooklyn, He's but from... he lived in the Bronx. Okay. I so think okay. he was born and spent part of his childhood in, in Brooklyn. But the Tracy I know and what we talk about, like when I see him. Is the Bronx, Tracy. Okay.
0: So you were around, like, pre-hip-hop and post-hip-hop.
1: I wouldn't say pre-hip-hop. Right. You know, I I mean, because the reason I love music is because I I remember walking past, um, I was on College Avenue, 170th Street, where I lived at at, at the time. This was, like, 80. And um, hearing them play Pebbly Pool Mm. and hearing, you know, Funky 4 Plus One More, like, from the laundromats, you know, like when cats was just blasting music, you know? And uh, so I wouldn't say it was pre-hip hop. It was definitely hip hop around. This is why I fell in love with it. But you
0: were definitely like within the inner rings of ground zero of hip hop because it, it, you know, back then the world was so much larger. Yes. So growing up in Brooklyn, we necessarily didn't have that. We had to wait till the Pebbly Poo's and the, 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 you know, the Funky 4's was on cassettes. Oh, yes. To make, to trickle down.
1: Oh, no, for to, sure. To
0: Brooklyn, you know what I'm saying? So you yeah. was like in ground zero. Right? I was
1: in ground zero. Then. Right. If right. you look at it from that perspective, absolutely. Yeah. And and
0: so you, growing up, man, you you mentioned that you were breakdancing. Yeah. You would, you know, you were doing. it. I wasn't whatever. good, though. Right.
1: Just so want to be clear. It wasn't nice. Which is kind of like your theme because you <laughs> weren't, you know, you, you weren't good at a lot of I things. I wasn't good at a lot of things. Right. But I, I enjoyed doing it. Right. You know, like I enjoyed, I, I always just felt like. No, I felt this way from a kid, man. I swear to you, I'm not I'm not making this up, bro. Like I always felt like I just wanted to try everything. Right. Like, you know, I always had this thing about life like you know, maybe because I didn't grow up with my parents and with people telling me that I couldn't do something. I always felt like I wanted to do everything, like anything that interested me, I wanted to be involved in it, you know, and uh and breakdancing was one of them. I never wanted to be an MC. Right. and things just kind of happened, but for me it was always about Breakdancing, and I wanted to write music, wanted to produce. Uh, and that was. You wanted to do that at an early age? Yeah, at an early age. I used to watch, I told Michael Bivens this recently, man. Like, I, I, I used to watch New Edition, and I wanted to write songs for those dudes. You wanted to be a songwriter? I wanted to be a songwriter. Right. So, being friends with them now is kind of like, man, I, I called this. Like, right. I remember watching these videos. So, I had more love with just some crazy shit for like New Edition than I did for like a lot of MCs. Because all those were the only guys that i saw on tv that looked like me that were singing that were singing and and, they stood out and they still looked rugged and they they were singing in the projects and like yo i thought they were cool you know like i related to them um you know a lot of hip-hop at the time what you know I, i couldn't relate to and this is by no means any disrespect to Melly mel or any of them like the leather outfits and all that. Like that, you know, I that's not what I grew up. And they up were a seeing. little bit older. So yeah, they, they, old, they, yeah. they
0: talked about Coke and things that you yeah. really No. It was it wasn't in your in your Not at all. Okay, so so you go to high school mm-hmm. and you're focused on being what?
1: In high school I wanted to be an attorney. Okay. You know. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. And and that's um I wanted to be an attorney. I was always a kid Why? that was um I was an avid reader, you know, like that was just my thing, you know, like I always wanted to know a lot about law, you know, I wanted to know how to, how things worked. That was just me. Like from the time I was five, I was taking my bikes apart, trying to figure shit out, you know, and law was one. I was always interested in, in, in that from, um, you know, just, just people, you know, like, like I grew up at a time where, Crime was just in my neighborhood, in my apartment, in the family. And everyone always talked about needing a lawyer. You know, What
0: do you mean in your apartment?
1: I'm just at, at home, you know, from growing up. You know, there was, you know, drugs and I seen a lot of shit. I right. just never rapped about it. Right. But it was definitely like, well, We were talking about the crack, crack epidemic. Absolutely. It was right. prevalent in my life. You know what I mean? Like, I just never rapped about right. it. You know, I just didn't see the point in, in uh, telling those stories about being a hustler, I always thought, you know, growing up, that was stuff that people kept private, you know. Right. But I did just... you ever dabble in selling drugs? No, oh, yeah, for sure. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I'm not. I wouldn't. Vials. Back in the crack of the vial days. Oh, man, I started started. Um, man. Yo, I, I was. I never heard of, this. I was warned about this show. Oh, right. what they tell you. I was warned about this show from fans, like okay. online, right. like yo. When when you get on there you got to be honest. So I right. I'm, I'm gonna keep it real with you. No, nah, but you, know? you feel
0: comfortable though, right? Yeah, we're, yeah, not, nah, we're not. I don't. I right.
1: feel honestly. I don't even feel like people are listening. Right. I, I feel like I'm talking to it. Yeah, group,
0: that's right, D. No one's listening. though.
1: You know, <laughs> <laughs> I know they're listening. I'll, I'll see this online. Right. But no, you, you know, growing up, man, it's like, um, you know, I, I've I've seen it all, dude. Like I used to see, you know, famous people come to the to my aunt's house and. You know they were hustling, and you know, I mean, Billy Guy is like my family. You wow. know, Billy Guy. I've known Billy since we were, since he was eighteen. And right. He's a little older than me, and uh, those are my people. Right. It's not even you if you mention Billy to me, anyone in the pen right now, he'll be like, "Yo, that's my little brother." Like, wow. so I've seen all of that. I just never talked about right. it. You know, um, you know, but I, it was a
0: different age. Also, yeah. it was a different period where this is we're talking about. This is pre-gangster rap, you know. what I, I'm saying nobody really no. wanted to glorify this shit.
1: I'm gonna give you two stories on why, why I just didn't want to be involved in that. One, I thought selling crack was the way to go. You right. look at it in the neighborhood; those are the people that I looked up to. The hustlers on the corner—they had the flyest cars, they had hot clothes. Every car had a system. Mm. You know what I mean? And, and meanwhile, my cousin and I had credit on the cor- you know at the corner store. Right. So you know, I thought that that was the way to go to be a hustler,
0: and no, and, and you and you can't
1: be blamed for that because you no, didn't know. I didn't know any better. Right. You know, I was thirteen. You know, and um, you know, I remember when I was about fifteen years old, um, jumping on the on the shuttle. It was like the Trump shuttle from New York, you know, LaGuardia to DC, right? And there was this project called Paradise Projects. And I remember going in there. There was one way in, one way out. And my man, you know, without saying his name, was he was doing his thing in there, and I was going along with him. And he was pulling me into it. And I remember being in this apartment and just seeing this this mother like real cracked out and and they were making at least fifty thousand dollars a day mm-hmm. in in that in that project, right. you know, paradise. And, yeah, and it wasn't too far from the White House. I remember all of this, right. you know, and wow. that kind of freaked me out, you know, to, you know, usually when you, back then, um, when when being a young hustler, you, uh, when you do a hand-to-hand, you never really see anyone using, so you don't know what the effect is.
0: You don't see it close-hand. No, you first-hand. don't see it. Right.
1: I saw it that day, right. and it really bothered me, you know, like, it just it just never really felt right to me. You know, and leaving leaving that area and going back to New York, I just didn't feel comfortable, you know, at all. And um that was one incident. Another incident was the same guy who introduced me to that. When I turned sixteen, he gave me a gun mm. and uh twenty two with a pearl handle mm. and I was on the roof of my building and just firing it off and it was and I felt Firing it, it felt good at that moment, and then when I thought about it, it was like, man, that's just way too much power for like a sixteen-year-old kid to have. Like I literally thought about all of that, and and uh, I just really didn't want any involvement with that. And I think other other dudes that were hustling in the neighborhood felt that from me, you right. know. Um, and they used to say to me like, Nah, shorty, don't worry about it. That's yeah. that's not for you. Here, yeah, put this in your pocket, and we give me money. Yeah. So instead of me is I was I was nervous about it now, you know, like I would I was able to see that. And I'm talking I started when I was twelve, like carrying drugs for people in the neighborhood. And I remember when I was twelve, like walking down the street with like <laughs> like an ounce of dope in my in my underwear with my sweater wrapped around my waist and my aunt was looking at me like, Come here boy, like <laughs> get over here. What <laughs> she saw this bulge and she was like, get over here and just went and literally went in my pants and pulled it out and was like, who are you doing this for? Mm. You know, and it happened to be someone that was like in the family. and uh, So they
0: got to talk into.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but I was always curious in that, you know, like right. to the game rooms and, you know, even to the Jamaicans in the neighborhood. I would go upstairs and and not that I'm proud of any of this, but this was what was going on back then. This is then. part of your life. Um, you know, I used, to, I was always the slick kid. You know, I got in cool with the Jamaican dudes and, you know, they were selling pounds of weed and i was the dude that had to run upstairs and then bring the weed once they did the transaction bring the weed down to the game room and every time i went upstairs and came down i would stick my hand in the bag throw some weed in my drawers and (laughs) shake it up pinch (laughs) some out absolutely Combat was he the og (laughs) weed carrier i don't know but
0: you know what you make the perfect (laughs) kid to do that man because you always had a baby face
1: I always had to be, and you know, and then I would go into a different neighborhood and try to sell nickel bags of weed until my man's mom, my man's mom was like this church lady and, she, and you know, I was like trying to sell her weed and he was the hustler dude and she told him. <laughs> she was like, he came up to me like, yo, dude, tried to sell my mom weed. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was a hustler, but I, I wasn't very good. right? Man. You know, like that. I was a dude with a conscious and. I was smart at like trying to get the stuff, but I I just felt bad, man, trying to sell stuff to people. So that wasn't for me.
0: So so when did your life change, man? Like like you, you you're exposed to a lot, you've seen a lot, you're around all this culture, you're around all this, you know, real life, like as the inner city was, you know, during the age of Reg- Reaganomics in the Bronx. Like when did your life change, man?
1: My life changed in uh, the end of '85, right. early '86. Um, I was 15 years old, and um, my cousin that I lived with, her boyfriend that lived in the household with us, was a security guard at a shelter in the Bronx called Franklin Franklin's Men Shelter. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, like I said, I was a Renaissance dude even back then. I I knew how to cook. At 15, I was like whipping up shit in the kitchen, like. And, um, what was it? What was your favorite plate, man? What was I mean, I never really had a favorite. It right. was just really like whatever was in the kitchen at the time, like whatever we had, I would cook.
0: Put a lot of salt in there, right?
1: Rice no, Nah, no, nah, no, I never. Even to this day, I'm still not the salt dude. Right. I was never. I was always a dude that would follow the instructions. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Like whatever was in the yeah. cookbook. See, I don't yes. ever follow. Put a <laughs> yeah. quart of water in the <laughs> yeah. in, in the pan. <laughs> nah, not that bad, man. But um, I remember I made this dish. It was some simple shit. It was like corned beef, hash, rice, you know, corn on the cob for my cousin. And he asked me to bring it to him over at the shelter. Right. And that was the day my life changed. So I brought him food over to the Franklin Men's Shelter. And He was like, "Yo, I want to introduce you to someone. Took me into the office and he introduced me to this guy. He was like, yo, Scott, this is, D- this is Derek. I didn't have a rap name. This is, this is my little cousin, Derek. He's a rapper. And I wasn't even emceeing then. Right. I was, like I said, I was still trying to like, I wanted to write songs. He's like, yeah, he's an MC, and it happened to be Scott LaRock. Right. And um, it was the same shelter that Karis one lived in. Um, the guy, Manager Mo, who was our manager, he was a security guard there as well. Uh, and uh, and that was the day that my life changed. And that was um, the moment that I met Scott. Uh, you know, he just looked at me, and, and he was like, yo, you're going to be down with my group. And What was your
0: first impression of Scott?
1: He was just this tall, dark, towering dude. You know, I was young at the time, I was fifteen. Um you know, and even that even at work, I mean I can I can see it right now, like this dude always had a briefcase, short sleeve shirt on, always wearing jeans, white pair of Nikes on, um, waves in his hair, smiling, uh, and he was just just full of life and energy, you know, um, and, uh, you know, and from that very moment, he was, I mean, that day, I'm not, I'm not making this shit up. That day, we, after he got off work, we hung out and went to Dr. J's on Third Avenue in the Bronx, and he just started buying me shit, you know, like, like, yo, you're part of the crew. You know,
0: Were you like what crew? <laughs> no, <Nah. laughs>
1: nah, I didn't even know what that meant. Right. You know, but I, I, you know, my cousin introduced me to him, and so it, it
0: was he, yes, yeah, cousin in a sense, co-signed Scott.
1: Yeah, but it, and then also like back then, every you know, I didn't know what it meant to be with a rap crew. Right. But I knew what it meant to be down with someone because of the hustling. You right. know, like when you, when you hustle, you're down with people. You know, you're not you're not making this work up. You know, you're you're rolling with a crew. So. This was like a legal crew. Like, yo, I see something good for you, you know, and uh, and uh, and and we were we were cool ever since then.
0: Was he was he a serious
1: dude? Was he a he funny was about dude? his business, right. but he was funny, right? You know, he was um, dude. I, honestly, man, I I you met Chris Lighty. Yes, they were almost the same. Okay, it was like that. If you knew Chris, you knew how he could be funny. And you knew he was about his business. See, my
0: my impression of Chris was Chris could be in the room having a conversation. But at the same time, his mind was someplace else while he was having that conversation. Absolutely. So that was that was Scott.
1: That was Scott all the way. And he really, really like you see Chris was carrying briefcases like that was because of Scott. He told Uh me that he like literally told me that he had criminal minded tattooed on him. I mean, I know this is further in our conversation, but but I'm trying to give you a description of what it was like. For me, with Scotland Rock, right. and it was almost like they were the same, the, the same people. That's know? crazy.
0: So when he's talking, you have no fucking like you're just totally in the present. You're not even thinking of the no, future. You're not in the even present.
1: thinking of the future, right? Because then hip hop really didn't have a future like right. that. It wasn't like Cats wasn't really getting
0: deals no, like they wasn't that. Getting, there was no business. No, there was no. Rush wasn't business. still doing it. He wasn't doing no, it. He shit. was doing it. he started. But it started. Right, yeah, yeah. Right, it right, was right. still
1: early on because running them, they were out. You know. Um, it's Yours was already out, so, you know, that was the Def Jam, you know what I'm saying? So, LL was out already, and, you know, Scott was like, oh, you're going to be, you're going to be like LL, right. you know, like, the girl's going to love you, you know, and that's really what he said to me, and... And uh, hey,
0: what are you thinking, like, all right, like, are you believing him, or, like, the shit sounds good, let's get some more sneakers.
1: Honestly, <laughs> I was a young dude, like, right. I wasn't, you know, I can curse in this show, right? Of course. I wasn't fucking like that, like, you know what I'm saying, like, I wasn't that dude, right. I was... A young, I was a young, I didn't lose my virginity until, like, I was, like, 16, you know what right. I'm saying? So I wasn't thinking about chicks, like, yo, I'm about to be this playboy dude, you know what I'm saying? Like, second time I had sex, we had South Bronx out, you know what <laughs> I'm saying? Like, like really, like, I wasn't that dude, you right. know, so, um, you know, um, so I didn't see, I, I really, I, I'd never been that dude to even look into the future like that. It was, right. it just felt for a guy that I didn't have, um. I didn't grow up with my parents. To have people that wanted to just give you love was like, you welcome that.
0: So he, in a sense, was he kind of like a father figure?
1: Yeah, he immediately became a father right. figure. Okay. You know, like, I wasn't on the, you know, the uh, the cover of um, Criminal Minded for a reason. We got into an argument over—I I didn't like going—I was a smart dude, and Scott knew that. And I didn't like going to school anymore because people— when they found out that we had records out, yeah, it was always issues, you know, and it just made me uncomfortable. Like what kind of issues? Like just like dudes, you know, like, like
0: Oh, you think you all that? Yeah, oh, yeah, you know what yeah, I'm saying? Like, like, like
1: yeah. it was that kind of vibe. And it, it, because I was always by myself and I never really rolled with a, a crew when it came to most of the dudes that I was rolling with were always older than me. Right. You know, so I never really rolled with dudes my age. So especially in amongst school, your peer group. Yeah. Huh? It was always like an issue and, so I stopped wanting to go to school and that dude was like, This is why I I am who I am today because of 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 uh those conversations, you know, like you know, with Scott, you know, um saying to me, like, dude, if you don't get if you don't want to get your education, you know, he was like, I know you're a smart dude, you can do anything you want, but if you don't want to go, you can't be in the group. Mm. And I was on some fuck you, I don't want to be in the group then you're not my father. Like what? I had that because i didn't grow up with a father so i grew up so you
0: were like don't who the fuck are you to give me an ultimatum yeah it was always something i didn't want to do
1: yeah it was always women around me right so i was always the dude you know and to have another dude telling me what i was gonna do was just like fuck that i don't want to do that and and like manager mo all the time he would say to me like dude just call scott like yo you should come back you should come back see only reason why i'm not on criminal minded on the album cover was because we had those issues. Other than that So you were temporarily kicked out temporarily kicked out? I was never kicked out. Right. I left. You left. Let's be clear, <laughs> I wasn't kicked out. I left. Right. I was like, yo, I don't want to do this. Then fuck you, I'm leaving. Right. So it wasn't about a kicked out situation. Um it was more like you a you know, fucking hard headed motherfucker, man. Yeah, but that that shit is I mean, back then it it, it was survival instincts, right. you know, and not wanting to be involved like you you know there were no bodyguards you know it was always shit going on in my neighborhood right. and you know i mean my man gave me a gun for a reason you know like it was just I, shit that i didn't really want to be involved in, right you know so the easy way out was just just not go and um i mean i'm glad that scott said what i you know what he said i mean i didn't i didn't end up finishing high school i, I just did the ged and like in the 12th grade right. and it was like because then we were making music and, and um I have no regrets, you know, the only thing I wish I'd gone to college, you know, because I'm, I mean, I know a lot of shit, dude. Right. This is why I keep going on right now. know I mean, I, I mean, you know, so I wish, I wish I had done that. But in the same, at the same time, I'm You're getting I'm, so much education, B from like real life, education, real life ed- education. And right. then on top of it, like, you know, the relationships that I probably would have, um, you know, had from school. I like got, in hip-hop you know like i can call chuck d up right you know like i can professor chuck d yeah i can call exactly right you know i can i can call dougie up right you know or or you know i can call nas you right. know or you know what i'm saying like so i i know all of these people because of those decisions that were made back then
0: tell us about the first time you met K R S one
1: i met chris he was his name wasn't R S one then i mean it was K R S one but to me he was like he had like a bed number <laughs> he was like <laughs> in, in the shelters so or right. whatever that number was but it was just funny we used to have jokes about it but he lived in the, in the men's shelter he had a bed there and you know chris was always this arrogant dude um did you,
0: did, i'm sorry did you find it strange though that because even though you're coming from this environment that you know is you're not coming from the wealthiest environment yeah but now you're in, encountering a dude that lives in the shelter what's your perspective of that of, of him was there any judgment? like?
1: Nah, there was no, there was no, yo, it, I, I promise you, dude, there was no judgment whatsoever because, I mean, I, even my best friend right now, he lived in the shelter, oh. but, and he's a smart dude, he owns an, you know, creative services agency, so just because you lived in that shelter didn't mean that, you know, you know, you were you know, less just, of a person, yeah, or less a, of a absolutely. man. Absolutely, right? you know, like, those there were smart dudes that may have fallen on hard times and Yo, that was a way to kind of get shelter, you right. know, other than sleeping on, you know, living out on the streets. You know, so I never looked at, I always looked at KRS as, as the creative dude, you know, like, yeah, he lived in the shelter, but he didn't carry himself that way. You know, he was always the same arrogant KRS one you see right now is the same KRS one that I met back then. Right. Like, who felt like, yo, fuck that. I'm the I'm the greatest. He felt that way in the shelter. So, so Scott takes you under his wing. Mm-hmm.
0: And he says shortly after you meet him mm-hmm. you got to meet this guy.
1: And KRS never liked me. Okay. He didn't like me because of how Scott pulled me into the group. It wasn't like yo we're going to vote on this shit like it was like yo just threw you in. meet meet D, meet Derek. Right. He's in the group. It was like that. And they had already had their group already like I think it was called 1241. They had like little, you know, records out locally, you know, one song called Success and it's just nothing really bubbled. Right. So um so now he's pulling me into the group and Chris never really liked that. You know. Cuz
0: Chris <laughs> arguably is one of the greatest yeah. MCs of all time. He's my top 5 of all oh, time. Oh no, he's definitely And then he my pulls, top you five. Yeah. pulls you in. Scott pulls you in. And what's your role? You you're the next rapper, you're rapper number 2?
1: Okay, so here's the deal, you know. <laughs> I was trying to figure that shit out too. I right. was like, "Yo, what am I going to do?" And and this is what Scott said to me. He said, "You're going to learn how to do everything." Mm. No lie, not making this up. He said, "You'll learn how to do everything. Like if Chris can't rap, then you'll rap. If I can't DJ, then you'll DJ." And Scott's honest truth, man. And he taught me how to DJ. You know, not not about scratching, but about counting bars. Like that dude, like on South Bronx, I learned how to produce. I was in there with him. Chris wasn't there when the beat was done. It was me and Scott in the 16-track studio in Queens at this white boy's house that was playing guitar on the song. And Scott was programming the drums. And we were literally in this dude's apartment doing that song. And then Chris came and laid his vocals. But during that time, Scott was just showing me I was always curious, you know, like there's no different from being in the streets hustling to being in the studio. It was like I always felt like I wanted to know how to do this shit. Like I, want, I, I didn't want to just be a dude that was sitting in the background. I wanted to know how to do it.
0: You wanted to be involved.
1: Absolutely. And then you kind of like I didn't know what this meant back then, right. but it was about being self-empowered, you know, like. All right, so if you kick me out of the group, at least I now know how to make a track. I have some skills, yeah, right. I always thought about that, dude. Right. Like, you know, and um, so Scott, you know, the first record he taught me how to count bars on was EPMD. It's my thing, mm. and um,
0: amazing record to to learn from
1: because it came in on the offbeat, right? And I had he literally kept watching me bring it back until I got the timing right. And that was the very first record. man. Where did I,
0: Scott learn this shit, man?
1: Yo, he used to DJ at Broadway International. Okay. So by day, he was a social worker. You know, he played basketball in college, you know, graduated, he was a social worker. By day, he was a social worker at night. He was DJing, you know, DJing Broadway International, um, Danceteria, you wow, know. Wow,
0: he was the DJing at Danceteria? Yeah,
1: DJing at Danceteria, you know, and he wasn't like, he probably was like an opening DJ. Right, there, right. but Broadway still. Broadway International, he was a DJ. He right. was like wow. the you know, but then in those venues, you know, I was too young to go to those spots. But, he, you know, you know, he was probably the opening guy, whatever, you know. Um, but, yeah, that's, so that was always his thing was, was records, producing and DJing, right. you know. and uh, But, yeah, so that was back to what you were asking. Like, that was my role. Okay. I had no real role. Right. It was like. You were just part of the crew. I was a part of the crew. I was. But he was
0: not going to let you not just do anything. You were there to learn. How to support the crew. Absolutely. Now, you meet KRS mm-hmm. and you think he's an arrogant dude. You think he's a creative dude. When did you hear him rap?
1: Gosh, what? The first, it was South Bronx. South though. Bronx. You know, it wasn't like I wasn't a part of a cypher. It right. was really like being in the studio. Like, I remember hearing that 1241 record that they recorded and I was excited like, wow, like you actually made a record. Right. It, you know i I remember being in 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 near power play studios was where that studio was so in uh in queens um and just being with scott and just taking it all in like wow on a late night and remember back then i mean i was young dude i had no parents around so i was hanging out bro like one and two in the morning walking from the bronx to brooklyn with scott like that's what we were doing right. you know and um and making that song was the first time that I heard KRS rap. And I won't say I was blown away because I didn't know what that feeling was like. I just knew that, yo, that's he was rapping. That's it. It wasn't like how we hear someone now he's like, oh, shit, he got skills. Right. Like It didn't feel that way to me. It just felt like, yo, know, he just went in. He dropped his verse. Yo, now we, we're making this record. We're mixing it. This is it, you know we just going to have a record out. Like, I didn't know it was going to be what it ended up becoming, right. you know? Um,
0: and you didn't have, had no inkling that dude was so
1: great. No, I still, honestly, that's fucking crazy, man, because it was so natural, right? It didn't, you know, like what he was doing was so natural. It wasn't until it wasn't until the second album that I realized how incredible Chris was because he went in a different direction like my philosophy oh. was was that shit was crazy to me.
0: Hold on, we got we got we got rewind. This <laughs> back. We got rewind it back. All right, let's pull it back. <laughs> let's pull it back. Pull it back. Um to me the most incredible record I ever heard when it dropped was um The Bridge Is Over. Mm. To me when I heard that right, I remember exactly where I was. I was in a cab. We were on 4th Street <laughs> right by NYU and that shit came on in the cab and this was I think it was either it wasn't BLS because was it? It was, a, it was l- Kiss. It was Kiss because because
1: it was because Magic wasn't fucking Magic wasn't
0: that shit Marvel came wasn't... on and I was like, yo, what did aliens just fucking land and start rapping <laughs> like that? Were you you were in the studio when they did no, that? No, You were not.
1: Now here's the deal. Yeah, this is this is so crazy to me because right. I heard it the same way, not the same way you did on the radio when Shan put out his response to South Bronx, right. kill that noise. Right. It was. It was a little heat on it, but it was real light. Yo, dude, all I remember was I went over to Scott's house. He lived in Claremont Projects. I got over to his house, and he said, yo, listen to our new record. So you didn't even know? I wasn't in the studio. Right. No. And he had—we used to go to this place to get the acetates pressed up. Yeah. So he went straight from the studio the next day, had (laughs) not it was like, gosh, I wish I remember this dude's name. It was like Dick something, but— he had the place where he made those test pressings, the acetate pressings, and Scott it had bridges over on it. And he was like, yo, listen to our you new record. You had no idea what you are about to listen to. The same turntables that I learned the DJ, the right. EPMD joint on. He put that heavy-ass plate on top boom. and was like, dish, 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 boom, boom, ah. boom, boom, Like, that's KRS playing the, the piano on that joint. Wow. And it was like, yo, because I knew Billy Joel, like I knew the Billy Joel records. Right. Just hearing that, Chris was actually. I'm gonna take it back. The bridge is over was the first time that I realized that he was incredible. Right. Because, you know, like Melly Mel and all those dudes used to combine like all of the older songs singing, but it was like happy rapping. You right. know, the it was fun. But when that f-
0: Cats in the Cradle, all those routines, yeah, some shits was like fun.
1: But that sh- bridge is over was so hardcore, and when it was like. When he did the ooh part, it didn't didn't even seem like it was like R&B or whatever. It was just like. It was murderous. (laughs) That uh, shit was so murderous. (laughs) Yo, and I remember just feeling like, (laughs) just smiling like. We won. We won this already. I didn't feel like won because I really didn't know what it meant to like really battle battle. Remember, I was like 15. Right. So, and those dudes were older, so they knew what it was. So,
0: Kill That Noise didn't even really mean anything to
1: you. no. That meant nothing to me. Right. Actually, it meant none of those songs meant anything that they said. Even Roxanne Jante, Have a Nice Day. It meant nothing to me because I Kane was one of my best friends. Right. And Kane wrote Have a Nice Day, right. which was their so other it response. So was it? it
0: was just like wrestling in a yeah, sense. Yeah, it was right? like. It's like high school when you're battling your man <laughs> in high school like that. For
1: sure. Right. I mean, and I remember being like in Tremont Avenue in one of the clubs. And the Juice Crew walked in. I was in there just by myself. I always went to clubs by myself, and I was in the in the party by myself, not even I, feeling anything. No, because the, and they walked in, and Shan looked cool as fuck. Like mm. he just walked in with his rubber bands around his, <laughs> <laughs> walked in to perform, and it was cool to me. So even though we had these records out, right? Remember, people really didn't know what what each other looked like. Right. You know, I knew what they looked like because they, I was there waiting for the show to happen. They didn't know what I looked like because we had no records with faces and no videos and none of that, you know? So it was like fun. The only person I actually knew was Big Daddy King. Right. You know, and that was my man, still my man to this day, you know? Um, but yeah. So y'all are in the middle
0: of the biggest rap beef at the time. And it's not beef,
1: it was more for beef you. for Care and Shan because they were rapping.
0: And they were the front men. They were the ones. They were the front. They were the shooters.
1: For me, the young kid, nobody, they didn't feel threatened by me. I was a 15-year-old kid. You know what I'm saying? Like, now you look at some 15-year-old dudes or a chief key for somebody. Oh, they got murderous like,
0: faces. Like, yo,
1: dude looks hardcore. That wasn't you. No, but right. that wasn't me. I looked young as hell. I look back at these pictures. I look like I was 12. You right. know, so it was like, oh, this is D nice. Like, you know, no, we cool, man. You know, and, and uh, so I never really had any issues with them. And then... And, you know, it never really came to, to blows like that anyway. It was always about what was on, on records. Right. Yeah,
0: you know. Criminal Minded comes out. I remember the specific day yeah. I bought that shit. I bought that the same day that I bought Yo Bum Rush, the show. Yeah. Public Enemy and You and, and Down Productions. And that shit changed my life. Like, like like, yeah. like BDP changed my life. So the record comes out. And, it's, and, and instantly you guys are solidified as the hottest crew at the time. Like the hottest crew. Did you know that?
1: No. When Criminal Minded came out, <laughs> you want me to be honest, really? No, no, no I, I love this shit. When Criminal Minded dropped, I was still angry with Scott right. and and still not, not really angry, but I was still just kind of like, I was happy for my small contribution to that album with the Peace Free and South Bronx. Not really. With, now you produce those? Or you... No, no. South Bronx, I just, none of that stuff I worked on right. in the first album. South Bronx, I helped program a couple of drums and kicks, but I didn't produce any of that. You was in the kitchen. I was, yeah. So, you know, I can never take any credit for any of that, you know, like I didn't step up as a producer until, um, until the biome is necessary. You know, that's when I understood like, yo, I'm, I'm going record shopping and I'm finding loops and I'm coming back, playing them for Chris. And then now I know how to, you know, work the MPC and, uh, you know, it wasn't until that album that I, like, make a major contribution. Right. And you know what's so crazy is that Chris did a show about a month ago, three weeks ago, at yeah, SOB's. SOB's. I was trying to make he, it. And he called me on stage. It was Easter, Easter Sunday. Yep. And he called me on stage, and he said, he was like, yo, I want to bring someone on. And he called me on stage, and he was like, yo, y'all don't even know. D-Nice, my philosophy. I'm still number one. Jack of Spades, like, he started naming the records. He was like, y'all don't even know. He did that, you know? And that was the first time ever that he ever, ever said that. that. Right. Ever. And I was sitting there, like, nearly in tears, fighting the tears back. I get emotional now because it's, you know, you want the dude is older than me, you know? And that was Big Brother, you know? So not—I didn't see him for the way you guys saw him, you know? Because I was so close to the crew that he never really became— the greatest MC to me, he was my big brother who I kept trying to please, you know, via with music. And so I, I, because I kept trying to please him, I missed out on some of what you guys saw in him, you know, on being that great MC. I missed out on it because I kept wanting to be
0: like, there was that internal thing going on, that internal dialogue, that internal, that internal kind of like pressure that relate, like, yeah, like when you're in a family, and you might have Michael Jordan in your family, but this is still the motherfucker that wants the bed or whatever the fuck. You know what I'm saying? Like,
1: you know what I'm and saying? You, and you want you want that dude to acknowledge, you. right? Of course. You know? And,
0: and did you? Did, well, you know what? We get to that. <laughs> so, because I, I, I <laughs> fuck, we've been on. All right, we we, we we're gonna keep going. So,
1: no, know. but but what he was saying you want them to acknowledge you. You know, yes. it's funny because growing up in that time. You know, a lot of those dudes, even when they they wouldn't show you that they would acknowledge you, know, they'd be hard-headed like that. Yeah, not for sure. I remember, because I always hung out with older dudes myself, so I I definitely, you know, not people like KRS-One, but, you know. older
0: dudes. Older dudes. You know, let's let's go to, you know, because this is also another shift, man. I remember when I got the call Hmm? about Scott LaRock, and that shit didn't make sense, because our rap acts, our rappers, our DJs. Nobody died then. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, when you really think about it, because in my mind, mm-hmm. when I go through the whole history of hip-hop, to me, the first important cat that died in rap was Scott Was Scott Rock.
1: So you want the story? Yeah. So I- we're going to take it back a year before the incident. So a year, I grew up Woodycrest Crest Avenue. Um, this young lady that I, you know, that, you know, that I dated uh, when I was a kid, she had a... The young lady was my first girlfriend. Right, a so
0: girl you lost your virginity to. Exactly.
1: Okay. Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> her friend, and you know, that's always a no-no. You don't really rock with someone's friend like right. that. So it was always just love. Her friend, uh, you know, I don't want to say her name, you know, um, you know she, uh, we were all cool. We didn't have cell phones or anything like that at the time. And, um, you know, Scott, this is a very important day. Scott had this newspaper and he was looking through the back of it and came across a company called uh rock candy records. Mm. So while Scott was at the payphone calling rock candy records, I had nothing to do. So I got on the next, the next phone while he was calling them to set up a meeting. And I called the girl Kim. She was the only one in the crew that actually had a phone at home. So I'm just calling her and just talking to her. And while I'm talking to her, some dude just grabbed the phone from him. And was like, "Yo, I know you're trying to kick it to my girl. Yo, when I see you, I'ma kill you." And it uh, was like literally just like that. And uh, like, nah, dude, you don't know what you're talking about. It's my friend, yada yada. You know, I probably said some slick something slick. Yeah, back. because
0: in your mind, it's like, yo, know, first of all, who the fuck are you? Exactly. Why you? I, I'm talking to my friend.
1: And that's really what it was. Right. It was no, never flirted with right. her. Never tried. It was a platonic relationship. It was a, no it was a, doubt, and and it wasn't even a strong relationship. Right. It was just like she was the only person I knew that had a phone that I was just trying to call. And he, he knew who you were. We didn't have records out there, right? You so he didn't saying? know who you were. No. Oh, okay. He didn't know. You know, he didn't know until the records were out, which was a year and change later. Now the records are out. Okay. So now, now she, he's uh, now she probably was like, "Oh yeah, that's my friend. That's the guy who." You know, and probably pissed him off even more. Right. And um, I used to hang out with this dude. He was like a young, young hustler cat named Uptown. I don't I don't even know his real name. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Uptown what Up. You know, and he was a young dude. And, um, you know, he was like my age, but he had dudes working for him, you know, and he was like 15.
0: He's a general. Young Absolutely. general. Absolutely. Right.
1: And mm. came over to the crib it's early in the morning. This was, like I said, a year and a half later. We have records out now and criminal minded is out and all that and you know now i'm known in the hood right and dude came over you know and we were hanging out early in the morning we were walking up to the i lived on Woodycrest, 163rd now we're walking past the projects hybrid high bridge projects and you know a group of dudes started talking to him and still even to this day i kind of feel like he may have set me up a little bit mm. you know like i'm not I was a little naive back right. then, but, like, now, looking back, you know. Um, it was just too coincidental. Yeah, yeah, because he started talking to them, and all of a sudden, he was gone. And I'm standing there, and I'm surrounded by, like, five people, four dudes and a chick. And the dudes, and I literally. Which chick? It was just some girl. Some chick, okay. Some chick that was with him. Right. Uh, it wasn't the same girl. Right. You know, it was, you know, just the, whoever their home girl was. And, you know, I never had beef with anybody, you so know. So you didn't even sense no danger no because i didn't know what danger felt like right you know like i didn't know what i was the kid who was yeah dabble hustling and all of that but i would never been around danger right so it didn't even register yeah you know what i'm saying like it didn't hit me that yo i'm surrounded by cats right now you know what i'm saying like i wasn't street savvy like that and um Mm -hmm. and the one dude rolled up and he was you know while they all standing out there and he was just like yo you don't know me but i know you You know, you had some smart shit to say last year. I didn't even know who this dude was. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, now they're getting closer. Pulled the guns out. You know, it's like, yo, I should kill you right now. I should kill you. And slapped me with the pistol. Mm -hmm. And then they ran off. You know, and the first person that I knew to call was Scott. And Scott, what he said to me was, Yo, we are. I, I called him. You know, I was. I was young. You know what I'm saying. What are you saying to him? Are you upset? I was. In, I was upset and in tears. Right. Like, yo, you know, come on, dude. Somebody just pulled a pistol out, sixteen years it. old, yeah. and just slapped me with a gun, trying to kill me. Like, you know what I'm saying? And it's just ran lot. off. Right. Like, now I'm standing literally in front of the school, on near Ogden Avenue, by myself, with blood coming down my face. The only person I knew to call was Scott. Right. You know, and I called him up and he said, yo, I'm, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to come over there, and we're going to find him and we're going to squash the beef. Right. You know, we don't, we don't really need that. Because he's so past us right now. And, And also he was a social worker. Right. His job was to end beef. Right. You know, help solve issues, you know, so even he wasn't thinking, the album may have been called Criminal Minded. That But that was more of KRS rapping. Right. That wasn't where Scott was, you know what I mean? Like, Scott was a businessman, period. He was doing meetings with Lior, meetings with Benny Medina back then. Right. You know, so he wasn't on some street shit. had
0: yeah, the fucking hottest record on the planet. Yeah, beef.
1: we didn't need beef, right. you know. like What's
0: beef at the time, you know what I'm
1: saying? When Looking back at it now, you have five dudes, Scott. Um, Daryl, who was the original guy we called RoboCop, right. manager Moe, Mick Boo, and myself in a Jeep rolling around the Bronx looking to squash beef. You look at it from someone else's perspective.
0: I'm a simple-minded motherfucker.
1: It looks like we're looking to right. start beef. Right. And that wasn't even the case, you know. I mean, looking back, you know, as an adult, like it, you know, what were we thinking? You know right. what I mean? Like, that that wasn't a good look. Right. Um, um, but I remember being out there, and um, and it was really a mission of, like, on some peaceful shit. And it became violent because of one person. And it became violent because of Daryl, who was our security guy. He was a hot-headed dude. But he was, you know, he was kind of like the only security that we had. And while we were standing by the Jeep, um, Daryl was... In front of the projects, bridge Projects, asking um, someone if they had seen this group. Mm. And the kid must have said something smart to him, you know. And all we saw was Daryl lift this kid up in the air. And Daryl was probably like 6'5", bam, lift him up in the air and just slam him, bam. And, um, you know, and that was that, you know. And we were just still standing out there like, yo, by the time he came over, like, yo, what happened, you know somebody was in the bushes somebody had ran to the roof and they just start shooting at us and the projects was a one-way street going uptown um projects on the left-hand side we were parked on the right-hand side and this is how crazy it is you know they were shooting from the roof shooting from the bushes so
0: it's 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 fucking a battle zone right now. Oh yeah, these yeah, motherfuckers it's a battle are shooting.
1: Zone. Yeah, they're shooting at us. Right. And we're and and
0: you are targets. Y'all like yeah. y'all ain't shooting back. Y'all, y'all, no,
1: we have no guns. Right. we're like scrambling to get back into this to get in this Jeep Wrangler. And Daryl was driving Scott in the passenger seat. Mick Boo on the left side behind the driver. I'm in the center. Manager Mo. They're shooting at us. Daryl pulls off. I see Scott swerving. You know what I'm saying? And, and I look and I can literally see the blood coming out of his head. Damn. You know what I mean? And, uh, yes, yeah, it's just crazy. Um, and, you know, and it just freaked me out because it's like bullets had to go past Daryl, had to go past us to hit Scott. Right. You know what I mean? Like, and, uh, yeah, sorry, man. I get no, 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 no emotional no. thinking about this. Right. You know what I mean? Because it's, it's the dude who uh, introduced me to everything that I do right change your life. You know, and, uh, yeah, I don't even talk about this much, right. but uh, yeah, seeing that was was crazy, you know, and knowing that it was over nothing, right? You know, and and uh, yeah, it was it was it was crazy. It was crazy. Pardon me, bro. bro. Nah, nah. Yeah, yeah. The
0: biggest brother, question though, because I remember like it was things were moving so fast. Yeah, the record came out. It was so big. Mm-hmm. That news came out, but before that news even happened. I remember that you guys really had your first major platform at Madison Square Garden.
1: Yeah, that was after Scott passed. Though. Right. It was yeah. like, but it was like, but sh- that was like, part of it, yeah.
0: Right. It was shortly after. Like, were yeah. you already booked for that or was this after Scott passed?
1: No, it was already booked for that. Right. I w- didn't was go. Was to it the show. Fresh
0: Fest or was it? Oh, uh, gosh. I it can't was remember. one of those. It was
1: one of those. Fr- I, right. Honestly, that part is a blur. Right. Um, I didn't even go to the show, right. man, because I, I carried that guilt, you right. know, of. uh. You know, this dude, like our group, we, we were stars, you know what I mean? And now we just lost the leader of the group.
0: Over some bullshit. Over bullshit. That you were inadvertently part of.
1: That I was part of. Right. You know, like, and, and it wasn't even like, like I said, it was no, it was no flirting. There was no, like, I didn't even know what was going on, you right. know what I mean? and uh,
0: you're, yeah. you're 16 at the time. 16, yeah.
1: 16 years old. Man.
0: Are you thinking, is this shit over?
1: I wasn't thinking about that. Right. I was thinking about I just lost my friend. Right. And I, for the first time in my life, I seen someone Death. with bullets in their head. Right. And it happened to be the same person that showed me how to live. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it wasn't about music anymore. It was real life. Like, you know, like, this is, it's not Scott LaRock. This is Scott Sterling. You know what I mean? Like, this is Scott Sterling. Just my man is dead now. Right.
0: So, who are you talking to at the time? Like, who's, are you not talking to anybody? Do you retreat? Do you, are you in your own world? Like, what, what, how are you coping as the world continues to move on?
1: So, my best friend right now, I have have four best friends and we're all like the best of friends. Those were the dudes that were there. You know what I'm saying? Like, when that happened, I ended up leaving the Bronx area because I didn't, if you can put those same people in front of me right now, And I can't even tell you what they Mm. look like. None of them. Because I didn't know them. Right. You know what I'm saying? It's not like, yo, we had beef. Like, you put them in front of me. I couldn't even point these people out, dude. You know what I mean? So just imagine having to live your life, not even knowing who did this. Every, you know, just. Every encounter. Everything seemed like. And Anytime I was in a crowd, I didn't even know if someone was in there trying to shoot at me or whatever. You know, like. I just didn't know, you know, so I ended up moving to Harlem and, um, just sleeping on my boy's floor, you know, and, uh, you know, and, uh, and we're still the best of friends to this day because he lived in the Franklin's men's shelter at the time, you know, back then. So we were all friends, you know, so, um, you know, when he had an apartment and all this happened, I ended up just kind of like, you know, using his home shelter and just to get away. And then Chris and I really, we weren't tight like that, you know, and, I don't I, and and there's part of me that although it's like I, I wanted my big brother to understand and see who I am, but I couldn't be mad at KRS, you know, because Scott was the man that pulled me into the group. He never knew what the story was. Right. All he knew was that now Scott is dead because he came to my aid, right. you know. So now he's mad at me.
0: He was mad at you. Absolutely. Right. He blamed you.
1: Absolutely. He wouldn't just come out and say it. But, but you I, could, right. I I could, you know, I felt that, you know, like just in conversations and, you know, um, but yeah, so, but yeah, that was, it was it was rough carrying that weight. And I never talked about it, right? which probably did a little damage. Um, but you, then. but you,
0: how the fuck could you talk about it? You're, you're, you're 16, <laughs> man. Like, yeah. like you have grown men going through shit and they got to spend thousands of dollars and years unraveling this shit through therapy. You know what I mean?
1: But that's grown men. It's not hip hop, right? And in hip hop, everyone wants an answer, right? And because I didn't, I wasn't vocal about it. You know, I didn't talk about it because I didn't even know how to, right? You know, like you didn't I didn't even know how to formulate the words. Oh, no, I couldn't articulate what my feelings were, right. And I just didn't know, you know. And uh, so I never talked about it at all, you know. And and and
0: KRS never, in a sense, talked about it.
1: Nah, we actually never talked about his death until. Right the grammys of this year i heard man yeah yeah that was the first time that
0: what was that conversation man
1: shh, man it was um it was a great conversation you were djing this was before though okay i i did the will i am event that thursday night then that friday night for grammys i had gosh what was i doing oh i was just djing oh i had two events that night shit i don't even remember bro all i knew was that I invited K.R.S. and his wife to go to dinner with me. Nice. I hadn't seen them in over ten years, right. you know. And they came out, and um, I was staying at um, at Mister C uh, Cipriani Hotel, and they met me downstairs at the at the restaurant at Cipriani's downstairs, and and um and you know we ordered a bottle of wine, and we ordered food, and yo man, it was an amazing conversation, and it was dope because it was like. Chris said to me like, y'all, I heard you doing big things, man. Like I'm, I'm proud of you. You know, nice. it was like that type of conversation. Right. And, you know, you know, we, we conversed about life and we talked about our kids and about what we could potentially do together. And then I just said to him, I was like, you know, we never talked about Scott and I told him the story that I just shared with you. And, um, and it was very emotional for both of us. And, and, and he was just like, you know, it's, um, I don't remember verbatim what he said, but it was just like, yo, we're good, D. You know, like, it It was like that. Like, right. nah, D, we're good, man. Yo,
0: close the book on that chapter. Like, yo,
1: we're good. He, and he said, when the smoke clears, you and I are sitting here having dinner. Right. And that's how the dinner ended, with him saying that. Wow. When the smoke clears, you and I are sitting here having dinner. And it was just, it was dope to me, you know? Like, I felt like I finally had this relationship with, with KRS, the way it should have been back then, you know. Right. And it probably could have happened sooner had we just had that type of conversation. But
0: you know, could have, should have, would have. It, no, it happened when it happened. No, it happened you when, know when it happened. Happened when it happened. Woo! Let's go to a station break, man. jack the dot com. F your radio. Hey yo, internets Won't you help the Combat Jack Show stay free to download by completing this short? anonymous survey. It's going to take you no more than five minutes. Now your answers will help match our show with advertisers that best fit the sensibilities of our podcast and its listeners like you. Listeners who complete this podcast check this out. We'll be entering an ongoing monthly raffle to win a $100 Amazon gift card. $100? Now yeah, $100. Now we promise not to share or sell your email address and we won't send you no email unless you win. So please go to www.com Podsurvey.com slash jack. That's www.podsurvey.com slash jack. And take our survey and get a chance to win this $100 Amazon gift card. Yeah. Nice. Now, internet, you tune into the Combat Jack Show to combatjackshow.com. We got Dean Nice in the building. check Yo, man, D nice, thank you, man, for for sharing that, man. Wow. Yeah. With us, dope. man. That that's real it's real, man. We were talking off air, man. You you ever got therapy, man?
1: Yeah, yeah. I went um, you know, I probably I, I should do more sessions, but did about six months. Right. And um
0: How how long ago?
1: Uh phew, man, this was about five years ago. Okay. So late. Yeah, yeah, it was late. It right. wasn't back then. Right. You know, back then, dude, you know, you're black men, you know. You
0: man therapy, up man, like, man up, little nigga. Yeah. <laughs>
1: exactly. <laughs> right. So you know we didn't do that, but as an adult, I knew I had some serious issues that, and it wasn't just about Scott's passing, but it was also about father issues right. and you know not being in, in in you know I mean shit, I didn't see a doctor until I was twenty, you know what I'm saying like you know like not just, really, all, just
0: all the shit that we grow yeah, up with coming up in you during know that de- during yeah.
1: that day man, you know like um so yeah i I went to you know just to sit down with a therapist to really to hear myself talk about this stuff, man, it just opened up
0: and take, take that weight off you. Like it's not your fault.
1: Yeah. Yeah. For sure.
0: You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. How do y'all reconvene and go into by all means necessary, man,
1: man, that was by all means necessary was a struggle because it was a fight with KRS and I, because at the time I didn't realize that he blamed me for it, you know? Um, But you know, it was always like, nah, you're going to carry the bags. Yeah, you're going to go on tour, but you're carrying the bags now. Uh, it was like a lot of that. Right. And and I started to rebel, like, nah, I'm not carrying shit. You know what I mean? Like, and then, you know, once he started in the studio, I felt like from the conversations that I had with Scott, with uh, if something were to happen to Chris, you would be the rapper. If something happened to me, then you're the DJ. Right. Well, then it, to me, it was like I had to step up and start submitting tracks now, you know, and my philosophy how do you fucking
0: come up with my philosophy because i got to tell you man wanna you know once again man like but a lot of my life revolved yeah. around BD, early bdp and and i wrote about this man like to this day my favorite rap video of all time is my philosophy and yeah. the reason why it's my favorite video is because i remember being at payday the club payday mm-hmm. at the time and you didn't see videos like that. You know what I'm saying? And we were in the club, and I think it was the Dismasters and the 40 Busters performing. Mm-hmm. And right in the middle of the fucking party, they turned on the lights, and then the little screen came down. And they, debu- they debuted in the club. My philosophy. Oh,
1: wow. So,
0: you know, seeing KRS in front of the Jeep, rhyming an acapella, and then the fucking... <sighs> yo. <laughs> I lo- like And then the, and, and, back. And, and 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 I'm not even talking about how fucking retarded that record is. Yeah, right. you know what I'm saying right. from yeah. from the from the production to let me begin. What where why oh the shit was crazy.
1: Yeah, that track DJ Doc programmed the drums on that joint. I right. I literally I was out just record shopping. That was the thing you did found i found that sample matter of fact i found a sample for that and just ice going way back you know what i'm saying like around the same wow. time you know and those are some of my favorite yeah.
0: records from that from that from that period
1: and um yeah and that joint and just remember on the publa song looping that joint up and then doc was like just doing drums and and yo and chris yo he killed it he dude it was no sixteen bars. It was like it was like punch me in. Was he punching me? Was yo, he like punch me in? Can you punch absolutely? In? And he was rhyming like that joint. There's no chorus on that. This was straight MC, straight
0: fire, <laughs> straight
1: <laughs> fucking oh my gosh, man. fire. That was it. But it that that wasn't the one from that was f- fucking crazy. Right. I'm still number one. When I found that sample, right. when We were in the studio doing that. I initially had that joint playing the the exact speed that it was because at the time i was always into faster records you know like you know uh rob bass right. and Kane raw like those records were up-tempo rhyming joints so i'm still number one the original beat is like that <laughs> so it was like and then chris was like Mm-mm. you
0: gotta slow this shit down you
1: gotta slow it down and then they became what it was. It was like, oh shit. Like, that was, to me, the feeling that I got from I'm Still Number One is it, that, to, in my mind, it, I don't think it's the greatest BDP record. Right. But it's the greatest feeling record to me from right. the moment that, because soon as it came on, when you put that needle down, it was <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yep. Crazy. And then the 808 came in. <laughs> it was like, this whole it's 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 monstrous yes bro it's monstrous it was that was that was like (laughs) and i sequenced the album right so i did the sequencing for that album and i i just knew when i wanted that record to come on man and it was just like
0: yo who was behind the remix it was someone
1: in europe the remix was crazy oh wait wait the, 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 the Spanish? The Spanish, that, Spanish, that was KRS. K-R-S. That, was, that yeah, shit was
0: crazy, too. Because man.
1: of MC Poet. Okay. So MC Poet, he made that record, This and, this and KRS. Right. Remember, cats weren't really coming at BDP, to the crew. They were going straight to KRS. KRS, man. They were making records about him. Right. They didn't care about the rest of the crew. They, they was, weren't making D-Nice. No. no. <laughs> I, I laughed with Kane recently about that. Right. Kane wrote, Have a Nice Day okay. for Roxy Ishante Right. And remember, he said, you know, Karis one, you should go on vacation with your name sounding like a whack radio station. <laughs> I remember that. DJ shit. Scott LaRock, you should be ashamed when T LaRock said it's yours. He didn't mean his name. <laughs> they never said anything about me. So, like, literally about six months ago, I was talking to Kane, and I was laughing, and I called him. I was like, yo, dude, it really dawned on me, but he was my man. Right. I was like, yo, you didn't even talk about me. <laughs> <Like, laughs> <laughs> Why did you just me, man? <laughs> I was like, why didn't you put me in this? What would he say? He just started laughing. He's like, Come on, man. <laughs> come on, D, come yeah. on. You know Kane. Like, yeah. come on, man. Come on, man. Nah, but uh, yo, those was some fun times, man. And and even Jack of Spade, like Great Record. So Jack of Spade. I, I found this the loop the sample in in London. Right. It was one of those Studio One records. Found that joint. And I couldn't believe it. Greedy G, the the beat was just nuts. The bass line was nuts. And I had this, this the break beats with the drums on it. So I ended up doing the drums. And we were going on tour with Eric B and Rakim. Mm. It was the Dope Jam tour. Right. It was Eric B, Rakim, Dougie Fresh, Kumo D, Ice T, Marquee. Mm. That was the tour. That's a crazy lineup. We were going out, and we needed an intro. So I did that beat as the intro. Like that was I was DJing then. That was the intro beat with the drum machine, sp 12 on stage. And Chris would come out, jump, jump, like all that jumping shit. I, Chris did that. Right. Because he would literally have every 20,000 people jumping, yeah. jumping jump,
0: jump, I remember being jump, in the shows? Jump, like we would be jumping. And
1: that was crazy. Then we got a call from Keenan Ivory Wayans that right. was like, I'm going to get you sucker. I want y'all to do a do a song for I'm going to get you sucker." Uh-huh. And then they, they flew us out. They flew me Chris and I out to L.A., and we needed to do a song quickly because that was the beat. That, that was the latest track that I did. We just laid that down, right. and then he wrote Jack of Spades to it.
0: Were you bugging out that you got that call, man?
1: Yeah, it was really Scotty, the manage, manager mode that got the call. Right. But, yes. But I didn't even – I'll be honest with you. I this is, this I is your know, first foray into Hollywood, man. But I didn't know what that meant. Right. I was 18 at the time. You know what I'm saying? So I didn't know what that meant to be – you know, on the movie. Doing a set. soundtrack and ah, being in the movie. In the, I didn't know what that shit meant. Right. It was like, what I was more excited about was the producers took manager Mo and I to a sushi restaurant. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it was my first time eating sushi. Right.
1: And the dude, Eric Gold, Eric was the was the producer. It was Eric and, uh, gosh, I can't remember the other guy's name. Two producers, some two white boys that was like. Yo, let me show y'all how to eat some food. Like, (laughs) took us to a sushi restaurant, and remember, I'm still, I'm straight from the hood. You got to eat with these sticks, right? The sticks, and he was like ordering. He was like, "We're just gonna order sushi, and you gotta try everything." Wow, like that was my. I'm gonna get you. That that was a payment for that for you. So was I excited about being in the movie or doing that soundtrack? Like, I didn't know what that meant. What I, because that sushi. Yeah, that was later, Fatt <laughs> because we didn't know what the record was going right, to become. Right, right. And that very moment was like, yo, where's the sushi restaurant? And he's just in wanting, LA. We're eating yeah, in Hollywood. That's like, crazy. Quail eggs and all this crazy <laughs> shit. Like
0: <laughs> I want to talk about one one more your, your, your no, you know, no your, your your production gems, man. Uh self-destruction.
1: Yes sir. You produced that track. Yep.
0: Um stop the violence movement gain momentum you know, New York decided that they were going to get some of the best crews around to create this record to stop the violence. Yeah. And you were not being considered the cat to produce the track. They wanted the bomb squad.
1: They wanted the bomb squad. Yes.
0: Because they were the most established at the time East coast production team. Yep. How did you get to produce this record?
1: Um, sitting in the meeting with Ann Carly and Chris and, um, and Carly, who who signed me the job, signed Will Smith, right. and signed BDP. Um, she she knew she wanted the track from me because she knew behind the scenes what I was already doing. You know, she knew I was doing these tracks, and, and you
0: weren't really getting credit for. No, these I got none yet. of the credit. Right. You know,
1: but but people that they were in the studio, they right. knew, and right. and um, you know, and and she knew she wanted me on Self Destruction. The thing about Self Destruction is in all fairness, it didn't sound the way it ended up being. Like, it was really just the bass line loop and the drums. That was it. That's what it, that's what everyone rhymed to. Because I had this idea of kind of, like, tailoring the track based on who the artists were. Right. Because there was so many MCs on it that you wanted signature it. signature sounds. Yeah, you know, and how do you make it? And, and mind you, I was 18 years old thinking about this. You know, like, how do you make it where it's, like, a long track like that. Remember, we weren't making long records. That yeah. record was like six minutes long. Right. You hadn't had like a six, six minute record since the Sugar Hill records. You know what I mean? Like all those other songs were three minutes. Three minutes. Got to get it three out. And half, three and a half yeah. minutes and you're done. So how do you keep a song that's like six minutes long, fresh? And I was like, you know, in the studio of my man, Eli Tubo, when we, after we did it, I, I, I just knew I wanted it to have like everybody to have their own sound under right. it. And, um, but you know, the artist didn't know that and the artist didn't care. It was only, it was only Dougie fresh and Doug is my man right. to this day. But, and you know, back then I was pissed off at Doug because he was the one that was vocal about it. And he was like, yo, why are you going to have this little kid produce it? Uh, you know, like, you know, y'all should have the bomb squad. Right. And at the time, you know, he was working with them. I think, I think they did rise to the top or whatever, you know, like, or whatever it was, right. he was, he was into the bomb squad sound and all, and in all fairness, they were still probably the best hip-hop producers definitely of that generation of, of that era they were making I mean,
0: they were making some you know futuristic yeah.
1: records when it comes to samples right i mean you know they made samples sound like they had a bridge on public enemy records right. you know they didn't do what dre did musically but as far as what they did with the samples like it was incredible so you you know like can't take anything away from that you know but the 18 year old me was just kind of pissed off you know because it, it was to me, it was, like, my chance of being in this room finally, and I had my voice heard, you know, of being able to say, like, no, this is what we should do with it. Now I'm 18, and Aaron and KRS, and I, I did the chorus. It was me and two two young ladies that I, I was living with at the time that, you know, I mean, we skipped over this part, but after we came back from tour, my family had moved from the Bronx to Boston, and I didn't know. Really? Yeah, so I, like, literally How came. How did you not know? We didn't have phones. Right. We're on tour. Right. You know what I'm saying? No so cell phones. No and, cell phones, right. nothing. No so email, no text. Nothing. Right. I literally no came. Home, so you came back home. to the Bronx and knocked on the door. It was another family. <laughs> <there>. <laughs> what do you want here? Exactly. So I had to stay with my friends. Right. So they, they're they the voices on self destruction with me in the chorus. Okay. You know, and. Uh, Your roommates. Yeah. My That's roommates. That's crazy. <laughs> and, which, uh, which was such a positive song at that time. Yeah, man. man. And we did the chorus first and then gave the track to everyone else and yo it was dope man I like I lived in the studio working on that record and I didn't know it was gonna become what it did right. to where well, they still play this song nearly 25 years right. later I didn't know that I just knew I wanted to do it this was that was I'm a big working, record yeah right? I was working with that was the first of its kind like right. what other you know record did you have that many established mcs Collaborating, you know, on a track.
0: Now what's crazy is is the part when PE comes on and you replicate mm-hmm. the bomb squad sound. Yeah. The James Brown yep. Funky that Funky there. Drummer.
1: Yep. That's crazy. EQ'd it the way they, they did it. Right. You know, and uh yeah, it was dope, man. All right. So yeah.
0: so let's let's skip forward, man. Your record comes out, you know, you have your hit. You know, things are hot. And then when does it get cold?
1: It got cold, um, After the the first, my first solo album did around, it did around four hundred and eighty thousand copies. The second album did a little over four hundred thousand copies. So, that's like having a double platinum album now. You know, but um,
0: back then, if you didn't go platinum, if you didn't go gold,
1: yeah, if you didn't go gold, nah, I can't even say that because Call Me D Nice didn't go gold, right? But it was hot, right? You know, like it was dope. The issue, the issue for me came. I didn't grow up the way K R S did. I didn't live in the shelter. I wasn't even though even though I sold some you know, I was in the streets a little bit, I didn't live that life, you know, like so my raps weren't really about that. My raps were from an eighteen year old's perspective, you know. I was you to rap about girls. Girls in cars right. and you know, and that's what it was for me. Hip hop kinda changed at that time. You but know? you're also in BDP. So yeah. people are not expecting
0: Yeah, you know, teenage throb.
1: Heartthrob yeah, yeah, we song from BDP, that. right. But this is what my life was. Right. You know, like, I couldn't be anything other than who I was, right. you know. I, and to be honest, I have no regrets. I'm glad I made the records I did. I'm glad I had the life that I did, you know. Like, I always saw the positive in it, and and I'm cool with it. The problem came with the record company when, you know, when the, the music industry sh- started to shift. People went in a different direction. It was hardcore. You know, they wanted me to make records with Too Short and... You know, I was the first MC, like East Coast dude with Too Short, right. you know, like, but that really wasn't me, though, right. you know, like, I didn't, that was more of a record company thing, like, you gotta make harder records, Biggie was out, mm. you know, Pac was out, that worked for them, I couldn't go from who I was to being who they wanted right. me to be. Right,
0: you couldn't kill a hundred niggas on a record.
1: No, I couldn't, right. I tried, and it wasn't me, right. you know what I'm saying, like, I, I, you know, it wasn't me, I tried to make a record company happy and and it wasn't me and i became deeply depressed after that you know like after after um after doing the second album and touring and and working on the third album i couldn't find myself anymore yeah. because i i let
0: you didn't know who you were
1: no in a sense. i let the record company people and a get in my ear and tell me i should be making this kind of music and i wasn't true to myself yeah. i couldn't even find that voice anymore you know on my first album that's all me, hundred percent. It's my attitude, everything. Like I was that arrogant dude. Like I want you to know my name. I'm D Nice. Right. I couldn't find that voice anymore, you know. And um, and you know, I, I tried to start a record company, invested like hundred grand into the record company, and tried to do an independent thing. I was trying to fight Jive to be free. And uh, it's a lot, man. Yeah, man. And I was still I was 22, right. You know, and trying to figure this out. And that's why this goes back to what we discussed earlier about the love of law. And um and I remember sitting there and trying to get out of out of this deal with Jive and um and I'm not gonna say the name of their attorney because he gave me the best advice ever. And it's it's crazy. It's you know, he was I started hiring attorneys to help me get out of the Jive deal. Right. And they would give me some of the worst advice, mm. like, yo, you know, go sign to, you know, Arista. But I was signed and to Arista. And breach jive. your contract. Exactly. Right. Sign to Arista, get that money, and then you can use that to fight Jive. That's and,
0: that's backwards, me. Dude, that, that's like a, that's fucking malpractice.
1: Dude, it was very well-known attorney. Right. Like, well-known. I believe you. And.
0: A lot of these attorneys, from my experience, they give a fuck. No. They wanted their own check.
1: And, and that's what it was They about. wanted a check, and right. It was like, get the check from them, and then. Leave this
0: and fuck you, yeah, like fuck retainer. you, like D. Nice will get sued. Yeah. Fuck you.
1: And this one dude who was the attorney, one of the lead attorneys for Jibe, called me and said, "D, we will. We we just got another letter from your attorney. We're gonna wait. We have thirty days to respond. I'm not gonna respond to him until day twenty nine. Right. And we're gonna keep doing this, and it's gonna drag out over and over because you don't have enough money." And you're not going to be able to outlast us. And we're going to do that. And he said to me, he's like, You're smarter than this. He's like, You can figure out how to get out of this deal without using that attorney. Mm. You can figure this out. I believe in you. And here, and he gave me a couple of books and told me to go to the library and read a couple of books. I wish I I knew the name of these Donald
0: books. Donald Passman. But
1: no, it wasn't even that, though. Right. But I'm still, and the funny thing is, I'm still friends with that attorney. Okay. Because it was a simple thing. I signed my contract when I was 16. My parents never signed it. Shit! For all those years, my contract wasn't even legal. Right. You know, and I was able to get out of it.
0: Right. Because you were a minor.
1: I was a minor when I signed it. Right. The attorney that got me out of it, I'll say his name because I love him, Scott Felcher. Scott Felcher. Got me out of the deal and it cost me, where other attorneys were trying to charge me 40 to 50 grand, Scott charged me 1,500. Right. I was done after all those years. But the problem was, it took all those years to get to that point. Now I'm not I'm no longer relevant. Nobody's
0: fucking with you. No one's fucking with me. Right. Did only. you
1: realize that? Yeah, I realized that no one was fucking with me, but I and I still tried to do an independent thing because I knew people that worked with Curtis Mayfield who told me the story of how it only you could sell a, a you know 50,000 records independently and be good. And be good. Right. So I wanted to take that approach, and I a invested a fraction of
0: four hundred thousand plus. Mm-hmm.
1: And I did that. The problem is that I didn't understand the business of music. I did it out of passion, and I put a hundred grand of my own money into it. Everything that I'd saved, I sold my car, put all of the money into going into the same big recording studios, right. recording this project. Could have done this shit cheaper. Same budgets. You know, I was treating it like I still had a job behind right. me. Pressed up all of these records. Had records on the radio, New York, Daytime, Top 88, but now it's me. It was Tower Records. There was no digital. I literally had to press up these CDs, I mean, cassettes Cassettes. and vinyl. And I didn't know that these stores weren't going to pay me because I had nothing else coming out. There were no contracts with Tower Records. No contracts with mom and pops. It was like me shipping records out. And it was just saying here, take my money.
0: That shit is impossible. Yeah,
1: I didn't know that. You know what I'm saying? I'm thinking, all right, yo, they just bought ten thousand cassettes from me. All right, I'm about to get paid, and then net thirty. Right, I'm waiting thirty days later. I'm still without a check. You know, and man, after doing that, dude, I was deeply depressed. Right, bad credit now. Like I couldn't pay my bills. I lost everything. And
0: And then, and then, not only that, as as a as a performer yeah there's so much that you lose when you're not hot anymore
1: when you're not hot yeah
0: and you're young and that's what you're depending on i was old school at 23 old school at 23 look at that old school nigga over there yeah so what do you do man
1: this little kid came up to me and was like you're not d nice d nice always has his hair cut
0: uh uh-huh.
1: word so that's you what, was looking that's was, why i wear my hair bald you started lo- losing it in yeah. a sense. i was losing it right you know and i was i was depressed right. you know and uh Man, I used to. I got a computer from my cousin, Macintosh Performer 6200. And I used to be in this in this one bedroom with the computer in there, and I would spend all of my time in chat rooms, trying to be D nice in a chat room. I never forgot that shit. Right. But trying to be hot. Trying to be hot in a chat room. Right. Like, imagine going in the chat room and just, yo, I'm D nice. They didn't quite do it that way, but that's that's really where it was for me.
0: Right. And what would motherfuckers say? I mean,
1: they didn't believe that shit. Right. You know what I'm
0: saying? So motherfuckers now, like you you quote unquote <laughs> fell off so hard that motherfuckers I mean, didn't believe it was you.
1: In the chat room. In the yeah. chat room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The best part about that story is that's where my interest in web development came from.
0: Right. Were you working? Did you no. get a job?
1: No. I couldn't get a job.
0: Because you didn't want to be
1: seen? I didn't want to be seen. And you didn't go out. Nope, I had no money coming in. I right. wasn't on the scene.
0: You gained weight too, right? Mm. Mm-hmm. Gained weight.
1: Gained weight. It was like two hundred pounds. Yeah, I didn't I was not going out. I wasn't doing anything. You know, I was just chilling. You know, I had a daughter, which know. is even more. Yeah, like
0: it's a beautiful thing.
1: It's a beautiful thing, but but yeah. to
0: sustain that and to realize that that's such a beautiful thing, yeah. you got to be in a different place.
1: So what happened even then with when I had my daughter? Her mom and I lived in her mother's house. So we literally had a kid, and we were in a bedroom. Where, in, where is this? In is this Jamaica, home? Queens. Okay. So now I'm in Jamaica, Queens. People in the neighborhood knew who I was, but I didn't even care anymore. Right. You know, it was like I was just a part of the family. So right. my life as D-Nice, the rapper, was gone. You were Derek. Every year that went past, that was far and far in the right. past. Like, you know, and you were embracing that. Yeah, I was comfortable with it because I didn't know how to do anything but live in whatever that moment was that right. I was in. You know, and um and I I truly I still I mean, I have an amazing relationship with my daughter's mom because of that, you know, like because she gave me shelter and uh And she believed in you? Yeah, too Yeah, no, no she did. Right. I can't I won't even take that away from her. She did. She believed in me, not necessarily about She didn't care if I was making records at all. She just wanted me to be happy. You know, so in our room was one side of the wall was the baby's crib. One side of the wall was an MPC and drum machine and keyboard. Mm. The other side was the bed. And then on the wall by the door was the computer. Right. This was my life in this room. You know what I mean? Yeah, the
0: whole room. entire life.
1: In this room. And right. her family embraced me. I love them to right. this day. Like, they they didn't even care. It was like, yo, we're family.
0: Now, it, now, now, do you let go of your relationships in the industry?
1: Yeah, because I didn't have anything. Right. You know what I mean? And then, it, remember, the industry shifted at that point. And yeah. the only people... Actually, no, I, I really wasn't involved with anyone other than Moni Love. Moni right. Love, because Moni Love... So Moni Love's ex husband and my daughter's mom are brother and sister. Okay. So it was in this house. So it was family. Yeah, Simone mm-hmm. was even in there. Yeah. I mean Simone had she still had a house though, you know right. what I'm saying? Like out way out in Long Island. But we were always in this house together, living. So it was like a rap house, but we weren't really doing Right. <laughs> she was still making records, but I was just chilling and just you know, just kinda of going to the studio. So right. so
0: but but you were you were you were fortunate enough to know to learn the internet, to learn early on, early on.
1: I learned how to build bulletin. Like I said, going back to when I was a kid, I was always that curious dude. I didn't want to just see, I didn't want to just look at a computer. I wanted to know how this shit worked. So I would take the computer apart and I was into the operating system. So I was downloading software, you know, not even downloading software. I was, um, cause it was a 2400 speed modem. I was downloading like, like docs from different bulletin boards because the web wasn't hot like that right. i was on bulletin boards and just learning how to um use like res edit to go into your system the operating system to see what the code was i was into that shit like just curious so
0: you taught yourself how to code yeah so i would
1: thing. take the computer part right and i knew everything about where the ram i just knew all of that right stuff, man. so what are you and doing with that now I'm not doing anything. I'm going to get back into it now because, right. like, a lot no, of people. No,
0: I'm saying back then. Oh, what, back are you then do, what are you I, doing with that? I wasn't
1: that? doing anything with right. it. You were it just sitting at home. I was just curious. Right. It's literally just curious. Like, how does this work? Right. At like, what point do you, What? at what point
0: is your baby's mom, or what? at what point do you say, I got it? How does this change
1: for you? It changed for me because what I did to pass the time was some crazy shit. I became a fisherman.
0: <laughs> hold up, hold up. I never heard of this shit. Word
1: up. So A
0: fisherman, like professional fisherman? No,
1: not professional. I would just go fishing with my neighbor. Right. And he was a bus driver for the city. He okay. had a job. Right, he, Me, I'm like literally doing nothing. Y'all be nothing. drinking beers and shit? Striped bass? Beers, listening to talk radio. <laughs> and go out. Exact, no porgies. striped bass. Bluefish? Fluke, bluefish, um, black blackfish. Blackfish. Yeah, that's what was floating around out here. You know right. what I'm saying? So we would go out and I was and just fish. And just fish dude. and talk. And talk and I was coming home, had to clean that shit in the house. So you was
0: poor black trash, basically, instead of poor white trash. I wouldn't say that though. Fishman's ain't no black. But I'm saying like
1: I, I, you know what? I was looking for an escape. Right. I was just looking to be good at right. something. Right?
0: Did you have vices, man? Were you into drugs? Were you into no,
1: no, okay. no, 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 never, right. never, 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 never. So never,
0: you were just yeah. powering through it, and that yeah, was yeah. your escape.
1: That was my escape. Right. I would wait for an ASCAP check to come, you know. And and those checks were back then they were kind of they weren't sizable like what Drake was, is probably seeing now because right. we didn't get that much radio play. But you know, when you don't have any money coming in and you get a check for ten grand. That's good. Right. But, you know, out of nowhere. Hell out yeah. Of nowhere. The problem that I had was I didn't have a bank account. Right. Because I was struggling. So I would literally, this is how fucking ghetto this shit was. I would go to a check cashing place. You know what I'm saying? Like I didn't have a bank account, you know, and because uh, I wasn't getting money like that. And what saved my life at the time was my daughter's mom was frustrated. She was frustrated that after all of these years, nothing was coming in. And we had this big argument, and we had an argument that broke us up. We never got back together after that. But that moment was very important to me because I could have still been there. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, I had, you know, now I have to leave. We got into this fight, and now you got I got cash, go. no credit. I didn't even have cash like right. that. I didn't, you know, that money didn't last. We right. had a kid, you right. know, those no checks start started to become smaller and smaller, right. you know, to, you know. So now I had to, I went back to, not even went back, I went to Jersey and I, now I'm sleeping on the floor at my aunt's house. Okay.
0: Same aunt that you.
1: One of the aunts that I lived with in the beginning, right. you know, and um, now I'm back on the floor. So now I had this whole career, seen the world, made records, self-destruction, donated the money, called me D-Nice, now I'm back on the floor, you know. In, in Jersey. Jersey. In Jersey in Fairview, New Jersey. It wasn't Uh, even like Princeton. It uh, wasn't Englewood. It was Fairview. It can't get worse. Right off of Broad. You're you're
0: rock bottom right now, right?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yo, right off of Broad. Scruffy,
0: you need a haircut.
1: On Tonnelly Road, like, it was, yo, dude, it was, but it was, even there, it was still love, Right, it was family. You're fortunate. I didn't even, I was sleeping on the floor, and it didn't, you know, it didn't even feel like it. You know what I'm saying? Like, felt like, yo, I have shelter. Right and this is when life changed for me because that's when it was like, all right, wasn't about feeling any pressure. Life changed because I was so interested into, into, and wasn't really the web. I wanted to build a company that created interactive, like children's interactive D DVDs. Mm-hmm. DVDs were kind of hot then interactive right. D- DVDs. I started to buy DVDs and to like, try to understand how it worked and, then I called Aaron Carley up and Aaron was working with Dallas Austin at the time and Dallas, she put Dallas and I on the phone together and Dallas was interested in doing the same thing. We never did anything together, but because Dallas was hot with TLC right. and the fact that I was able to be on the phone with Dallas.
0: And he had respect for you.
1: Yeah. That's when I realized like, yo people, I was gone all those years, but what I did was still important, you know? And, and um,
0: they couldn't, erase your legacy at all
1: and then i started to like reach out to friends i wanted to make records again i reached out to puff and to this day i love puff because puff was the only dude in the industry that was like yo i'm gonna help you get a deal and he had bad boy at the time but he bad boy wasn't for me i wasn't what they were doing you know he had the locks and he had he was like yo you're more on the r&b side like you're you know I'm going to help you get a deal. And he like literally walked me into meetings with Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. Like Puff did that, you know, wow. and they ended up losing their perspective deal. But I knew Puff had love and respect for me because he literally, he was coming to the meetings with his briefcase. He didn't just make a phone call. He was there and he was and, and, and,
0: as that. busy as he is. That's extra yeah. work for. He didn't have to do that. You have to do right. it. Why know? did he do that shit for you, man?
1: Yo, it was just love. You know, we used to, Puff and I used to mess around with the same girl. Right. Back when I had records out. You know what I'm saying? And and
0: and you guys go back to 88.
1: Yeah, yeah. And we messed around with the same girl. And then, you know, like, one day we realized that we messed around with her. But she wasn't telling us. And yeah. we laughed about it. it we're like, <laughs> yo, she's trying to play both of us. Right. You know, like, yo, this is crazy. And we were we became friends ever since then. Wow. When he had, like, the Volkswagen and all of that. Right. And uh, so we were cool back then. And then what? another thing that, like, this is why I said Puff was, was in my corner. One more chance. Remember, they were hot now. Yes. Puff called me and was like, yo, I want you to be in the video. Right. Got the perfect spot for you. Yep. I'm the only dude, outside of Biggie, I think maybe have got a solo shot. I'm the only dude with, like, a solo joint. Maybe Puff dancing in there. Right, right, right. But, yo, and I yeah, didn't you're, have record You're, records you're out. spiking the punch, right? The punch. Right. Yo, that shit's some cool shit to me. Cause now, it was a different generation. of But people. you're hot again. Like even that little cameo was dope. It's so hot. It was dope. Right. It wasn't hot to get me a record deal, but but, but it was you, hot. It where put some heat back D-nice. on your stove, right? Yeah, that's D nice. Yeah. You know, and that was dope, man. That was to me. That's what I needed. I needed. I needed to know, like, wow, like people still got love for me. Right. You know. And then um, one person. Fast forward to. I started going and making beats again. And then I started to produce and I started to produce high five. Like I had songs on their albums. Mm. Um, man, man, I was just doing tracks for people. Kylie Minogue. I was doing tracks and now I'm getting the, I want to make records again. Right. And red alerts. Mom passed, went to the funeral and it was my first time really reconnecting with Chris Lighty. Mm and chris came to the funeral we had the white two seater bins, and um we i rode in the car with him and i told him like yo you know i want to make records again and chris was like you know you you've been gone for so long but you're smarter than that like you don't need to make records like you just do what you're doing like you could find another way and that's what he told me it wasn't like you're wacky he didn't hear anything he was just like yo
0: I don't don't come back are. into this fucking cesspool. No, you
1: don't need to do that. Right, You know what I'm saying? And that made me think about it more. And then um, my buddies at the time, um, you know, I was still in Jersey at my aunt's house. And then my, my buddy was getting into web development. And I got into it with him. He started the company. It was a company called Trendsetters. And I joined them. He had some partners out of Toronto. And instead of when they opened up an office, instead of me... You know, I I became like a spokesman. You know, I was making you know seven hundred dollars a month from that. Right. I would use that money five. I would give to my daughter's mom. I would keep two hundred. I was sleeping on my aunt's floor, so I didn't have rent to pay. I didn't have a car. None of that shit. Right. It was really like, oh, this is this might be cool, man. I went into um, this was, there was this huge company called Razorfish. Damn, we're already like 100 minutes into this joint. We're <laughs> we, we, we going we to get there, man. We're going to get there. So I went into, <clears throat> there was this company called Razorfish, and then at the time, like Black Round Records, Aaliyah and yes. all of them, they were on fire. <clears throat> Jomo Hankerson. I ran into Jomo Hankerson in front of um, the Millennium Hotel downtown, and I told him what I was doing, and he was like, yo, I'm a fan. You should come in for a meeting. I went in. This was my first big deal, and this is when I realized the importance of Managing your brand, like I, to me, I fell off. To other people, I may have fallen off. Right. But they don't know all of those other demos that I was trying to do. They just think I walked away from the industry. Yeah, they
0: they don't man. know your daily 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 life. They didn't. Know they're that. not in your head. You're in your own fucking head.
1: In my head, right. I was fucking washed up. Right. Trying to find my way back. Right. To those dudes, they're like, "Yo, you're D nice. Yeah. Where've where've you been? Yeah. Oh, this is what I'm doing now. Oh, come in for a meeting." I was competing against a company that was making. They were websites were expensive then. These dudes were getting half a million dollars to you know a million dollars to build a website. I'm competing against them just based on yo Joe, Jomo yo. Nah, I can give you what you need. Like, right. Yo, this is what we can do. We won the bid and Jomo paid us like you know half a mil to do the Black Round site to do a Leah site. Right. And um and Timlin, you know and um. Man, this was dope. This was like, all right, cool. So now you're not making seven hundred anymore. Now the rate went up. I was making two grand a month. Okay, but my ego was like, wait a minute, the, the numbers don't add up. Right, you're not. I'm not a full partner. I'm not making a lot of money. I'm starting to bring these deals in based on me. I want. A, I want. It was five partners. I want. I want a par- I want twenty
0: percent of the company. Exactly.
1: And dudes are like, nah, damn. My boy, who was still my best friend, right. dude from the shelter, he was the partner in that company. He was fighting for me, like, nah, you got to give D because he knew he wasn't walking into those. They meetings. weren't making those checks like that, and they weren't. They people didn't even care who they were. Right? They, I was you the one were you were trendsetters. In. So, dude, I, you know, it was like going back to BDP. I didn't want to share that with me. I left once again. I, I didn't take a client with me. Right. I didn't say. Clients started to call and like, "Yo, so D, we need this done." I didn't even have a company, but I learned how to program because I used to stand over these dudes' shoulders and, and watch them code, right. and I was like, "Oh, all right, all right I'm, all right, I, I see what's." I see. Then I would download source files, and I would just kind of like, like first engineer. So fucking <laughs> smart, be how smart but, are you? But this is what when you're from the hood, you have to learn how to survive. That's right. all it is. So I would download source code and. And I learned how to read HTML and Flash and PHP. And yo, when when the clients would ask me, like, yo, we don't want to work with them. We work with you. Right. We're there because of you. And I was forced to start a company. And right. I, I told them, alright, give me, give me a month or two, and then I'll I'll get something going. I gotta get a team together. I didn't have a team. So I didn't even have a computer. Remember, I wasn't making money right. like that. The fucking computer shit came because Man, Dell Computers at the time had these deals where you could just buy a computer from them. They would make it according to what you wanted. Right. And they sold the software. They sold Photoshop <laughs> and all of this shit. And you can lease it. Right. I did one of those deals. You know, like, oh, I'm going to get this Dell. <laughs> rent, computer. rent a computer, like, basically. Right. And I went to Motown. And nobody was doing Flash Evites at the time. This was like 2000. Nobody had Flash Evites only on the rock and roll side, not right. on the urban side. Right. I went to Motown, and I was like, yo, I can build these these e-cars for you. You went to the urban department. Like, yo, you know, I knew to promote artists. I used to see these flyers all over the floor. And I was like, nobody cares about flyers anymore. were just
0: walking on those fucking They were just flyers. walking by right, them. Right. So
1: I knew early on, like, the way to go was to do it with evites. Right. And I went to Motown. That was my first client with my new company called United Camps. I went to Motown and I told them what I wanted to do. I didn't have a team to build websites at the time, but I can mean I can manage building an e-card. Right. <laughs> Yo, know, and they gave how me, much
0: man I was going to that man.
1: Dude, it was so simple because it was literally me downloading source files right. and just removing all of the art and then throwing and in throwing yeah. in my own right. art and using the same code. That's how I, that's how I started my business. Right. Just doing that. The first artist they gave me was Rashida. Okay. Loving hip hop, right, Remember, right. she was rapping yeah, there yeah, on, yeah, on yeah, Motown. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That was the first project I did for Motown. They gave me five grand. And I was like, wow, like, yo. And then after they saw her, e- her evite, they gave me their account. So my boys were now, now they came with me, like, yo, it's foul what you're doing. Now you started your own company. Why, why is that foul? Yeah, yeah. You should bring that over here. And I'm right. like, nah, I'm good. Right. Like, nah, I'm going to do my own thing now. And I started, I started, I learned that you didn't need a big staff anymore. You can use freelancers right. all over the world. Like I was doing this shit early so on. So you were dude.
0: outsourcing motherfuckers? I was
1: outsourcing and I was getting these India? Checks. No, no, no. Okay. It was all stateside. And I was, I'm still friends with guys, but right. I was using guys, you know, artists that worked in Houston. Right. My programmer programmed Google shit now. And it's my guy, you know, he's out in San Fran and, you know, like, and I was meeting these people. Because I was always in chat rooms. You right. know what I'm saying? Ah. Like, and I was always going. I knew the sites to go to right. where other artists were. And I did it that way. You Isn't know? it
0: amazing, man, that even when you think you're down and out, if you keep moving forward, mm-hmm. all of that
1: shit comes back. Comes back. Right. So, yeah. So web development was very important in my life. Right. And I would probably be a huge developer right now if I didn't start DJing. Right. Because I ended up picking up. You know, at I was working with AT and T. I was doing online marketing for all.
0: all you, and now, now, I don't want to get in your pocket, but how much are you making at this point, man?
1: Per site, it just depend. It depended on what they wanted. Yeah, depending, you know, like whether it's urban or non-urban, right? Because that's just the way it works, of you course. Know? So I was making anywhere from twenty five k a site to one hundred k. You know, um, this
0: is this is this is this is gross. You got to still pay out.
1: Yeah, but remember, I was outsourcing right. to, you know, I did have overhead because I had a small office right. and, you know, and I was, you know, this was gross, but I was still, I was pocketing, <laughs> I was doing all right. <laughs> I was doing all right. The problem that I had was I was doing all right, but now I'm starting to hang around industry cats again. And now I'm Did
0: you me. love designing sites, man? Was that a passion or was it something you learned?
1: It was something that I learned. Right. And that's why it was easy to walk away. Right. It was something that I learned to do, and I was good at it because, you know, I just feel like you should be good at everything you right, do. Right. If you decide to do it, you should be right. fucking good at it. You know, if you're gonna be a dude picking up chicks, be, be the that best dude, dude. Be the, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's that was just always me. My right. boys always laugh at me about that. Like, oh, here he goes again, philosophizing. Right, right.
0: <laughs> so, so you, so now you start picking up. Yeah, you're hanging out with industry dudes again.
1: Yeah, now, now. Now, Chris, I mean, Chris Lighty was always my man from right. 88, 86, rather. But now we have something to talk about. Now I got a business going, and now I'm I'm getting my money, and now he can pull me in on deals because I did the violator site for him. Mm. And when I did the violator site was when Chris, Chris was like, oh, shit, like, yo, you're really good, you know. And then he got married, and then this is how, this is why Chris Lighty was, uh, and very important in my life, you know, um, because he was the dude that he saw all of this shit in me from the web stuff to he pulled me in in the Reebok because I got in the Reebok because of the G unit shoe. Right. So now I'm in meetings with those dudes with Paul Fireman and, you know, Todd Krinsky and Q Gatson and all these dudes doing online marketing for Reebok
0: right. because of Chris. Because of Chris.
1: At the time when he got married, I didn't have the money to buy these huge gifts that everyone was getting them. So. I had my camera and I was just taking pictures and I gave him the pictures as a wedding gift. And then he called me up like, yo, my fucking wife is loving these pictures, dude. What are you doing? Like, you should be shooting. I'm like, yo, I'm not a photographer. Yo, fuck that.
0: You're just shooting pictures. I was just shooting pictures. W- what even, kind of camera?
1: I think at the time I was using like a Canon. Um, Some just, bullshit. Yeah. It wasn't anything great. You right. know what I'm saying? It was just me taking pictures. Right. And, and
0: you really wanting to
1: and the pictures pay him, weren't great. but
0: you wanted to pay him back.
1: I, I It wasn't even about paying them back. It was just, I'm in this room, and Puff is there. 50 Cent is the hottest thing in the country. How could I not take a picture of this? Right. I'm at Chris Lighty's wedding. Jacob the Jewel is there. All of these huge people. I'm just, like, in the back just taking candy shots. I and mean, he had paparazzi dudes, but I was a guest, and I was taking pictures.
0: So you were part of it taking pictures. So It was a lot more intimate.
1: Yeah. Right. It was like, and I gave him those pictures. Right. And yo, he was like, yo, what the fuck are you doing? Like, you should shoot. And yeah, you know, next month, the first, he gave me a photo shoot, a little scrappy, little scrappy, shot little scrappy's project. And then my very next, did shoot... you know
0: what you were doing, man? So looking back,
1: looking back, I I I went to school for photography though. Okay. When when the web stuff started happening, I went to school for photography not because I wanted to be a photographer, but because. I had a client, a clothing company. It was a, it was a men's clothing company called Down Under Gear. They made underwear. And they delivered these pictures that were horrible. It was like just bad pictures. So I told, that's how I had the Canon. I told the dude, yo, just pad the budget with $1,000 and I'll hire a photographer to take pictures. I took the $1,000 and bought a camera. camera. The camera was like 600 I went to B&H, bought the camera, and then I hired a model. This this model that a friend of mine knew, he was like a budding model, like he you know, but he had his he was like this cool dude from Senegal. He had the look like the underwear model dude. Right. I was like, yo, let me use this dude. We went to Central Park, I took pictures of this dude in black and white and I used those images on the website. Right. So now I have a camera. I use my have, own images right. and I'm like, Oh, this and you is were taking, cool
0: you were taking courses at the time too.
1: And I started taking courses right. to learn how to shoot, like right. All right, and I went to this place called Inter- the International Center of Photography on 40, 43rd Street and 6th Avenue. So I went there to learn how to shoot. <laughs> this is crazy. It's just like, it's <laughs> always in- involved in some shit, man. Right. But anyway, Chris saw the pictures I had given him, and then he gave me the little scrappy project. Then my second photo shoot was Ta'lib Kweli's project. And um, then my third photo shoot was a 50-cent uh, campaign for Reebok. Reebok. It was a huge check. He was like wow. 60 grand to shoot. You know what I'm saying? And I was like. All net. And this was all Chris. <laughs> no, nah, it wasn't though. Uh, okay. I messed up with that. And that was actually my fault. And this is why I went to, di- I was still shooting film. And the, the the dudes at the agency said, yo, you should shoot on a digital camera. And I was on some purest shit like, nah, nah, I'm good. I'm done. Nah, I'm going to shoot film. Nah, I bought this. I got, I'm going to shoot medium format. Yeah. Yo. It was like 90 rolls of media format film. They required me to deliver these images in two days. So it was the rough oh. job to process 90 rolls of medium format film. And they required a hundred <laughs> drum scans. Each drum scan was like $150. By the time that 60 grand budget, by the time I paid for Milk Studios and all of that, I ended up walking away with like five grand. Wow. I, I could have walked away with 55,000. Right. 000. Easy but i was too stubborn too to hard headed right i didn't know though you right. know what i'm saying like i wasn't the photographer right this wasn't my job this is like this is some other shit right. you know so but well, it was a great learning experience but anyway that's why i said like the chris was so important you know like even from even from the web stuff pulling me in moving my company into more on the marketing side and then with photography and djing you know and uh yeah
0: so the djing is a great story yeah You got invited to go to a party. Q-Tip. Q-Tip was DJing. Yeah. And you didn't really, you still weren't.
1: Wasn't on the scene like that. You
0: wasn't on the scene like that. You were trying to get yourself to get, were you, were you losing the
1: weight? Um, Or were you. Yeah, I was losing the weight by then. The Q-Tip party, I I would try to go out to other parties. And the reason why I didn't go to parties was because cats were rude. You know, like they would tell me like, yo, you need two girls to get in. Uh. All of that club bullshit, right. man, and then um.
0: And you already paid your dues. You already lived and they, that life, yeah right.
1: and, and to this day, like I still see these dudes, and I won't DJ for them. I'll right. say what's up, but I won't DJ shit for them right. because I just remember you used to push me to the back of the line, and I didn't want to do that anymore. Right. And Q Tip invited me to his birthday party, and I didn't know he was DJing. And I watched him. I watched him. And I think Cassidy was his co DJ. was either Cassidy or Mark, one of those guys. But um, maybe Cassidy. And Cassidy was younger then, and Cass was co DJing with him, and Q-Tip was playing hip hop, and then he was playing Blondie, and I looked around at the crowd, and it was like this eclectic crowd, like the models, and I was like, "Holy shit!" Like, this this what it's like, I want to do that. I was like, "Yo, I want to DJ," right? And I, I but got you home. hadn't really, no, right? I, I got home. I the thing about it is this: before I wanted to throw parties, mm. so. I was trying to throw parties before DJing, but I didn't like working with the crew of people. A lot of the New York City promoters, and they because they would name their their parties after candy bars and all that shit. And I was just like, "Yo, we're too old for this. Like, that's we that's not the sexiness." Like, and we did
0: I, payday in the '80s.
1: Yeah, and I was done with that. And they were still, I mean, juicy fruit Tuesdays. Like, I, this is what <laughs> I was. I was involved. I saw one of those flyers recently. I was like, "What? I don't want to do right. this." You know, and then I left it alone. And and when I saw Q-Tip DJing, that was it for me. I was like, yo, I want to do that. And I went out and I started, like, buying more records and buying records. But it was tough. You had to really get your record collection together. You couldn't just go to a club with one crate. Like, I had to, you know. Reinvest. Yeah, and I did that, you know. And then I started throwing. I would go to Q-Tip's party and stand in front of the DJ booth and listen to him and Mark Ronson. And it wasn't battle djing it was dudes that were playing songs, and they played good music and people And it was dance. effortless
0: because they wanted to right. create an environment as opposed to be like oh i'm hotter than you yep now yeah. you also called chris lighty yeah and cool. shared shared with him early on chris i want to dj
1: um yes i told chris i called chris like two o'clock in the morning after hearing q-tip spin and um and chris said to me he was like um uh, I told him I went to DJ, and he was like, D, these people are animals now. Like, I don't know if you want to get back into the music industry like that. And I told him I really wanted. I was like, dude, I really want to DJ.
0: It was calling you like that.
1: Yeah. I, I, from that moment, I felt it. I was like, Chris, I, I really want to DJ. And he was like, all right, I got your back, man. Well, cool, I got you. And that was, he had my back ever since. You so know. you
0: would do these parties. Mm-hmm. You would DJ these parties. Yep. And nobody would be there, or 10 people would be there, and Chris it.
1: Would we'll be there. Yes. I mean Chris it. Lighty would show up, DJ Scratch, Ralph McDaniels, Red Alert would show up sometimes. Um that's
0: not bad. If nobody's showing up but, but them,
1: yeah, like that's that's were, not bad. Yeah, like they would just come and stop by. <laughs> right. Chris Chris was always there right. though. Chris was always man, I can tell you that, man, from the time it was ten people to where it was five thousand people, Right. Chris Lighty would be there. You know, and Chris Lighty would always just show mad love. And because Chris Lighty showed up, it made other people pay attention. Right.
0: So it went from and 10 to 20 and, to it, and it
1: went from the chicks. And the, the, the benefit that I had was I started blogging. So I was using what I, what I did for a living to promote my career. So I would build my own evites. And I had pictures from the parties. And I would tell stories, old school stories. And right. I would send out this evite. I knew who was reading it because I understood the analytics. I knew how to like, I knew how to code the shit where I knew every person that opened the email up and I knew what time of day they would open it up. And I knew to send it this based motherfucker, on that. That man. Is that, that shit make, it matters. Right. Like, <laughs> you you, you look at your phone. Yo, most people now, as soon as they wake up, they're looking at Instagram. Right. So why would you post to Instagram at 3 PM when that's not even when people are looking at it. Most people look at it like seven in the morning. Mm. When they're getting out of bed. Right. So I knew, based on those patterns from back then with the email, I knew when to send it. And I knew I had L.A. Reads info. I had all these people on, you know, so I knew when they were reading it. Right. Even though if they didn't come to my parties, I knew to make sure that I wrote something in that email, told an old school story that would make them want to open the email up next week. And, the the you know, show a picture. And that's how I incorporated photography and, and the music and how I have a playlist and, Yo, it went from 10 people to 20 people to 30 people right. to now I have a residency at the Seren- at Serena's under the Chelsea Hotel. I was doing that on Wednesdays, and then I got a call to come in and fill in for Mark Ronson and Q-Tip, and then that changed my life. Right. Because it was their party at Table 50, and I started filling in for them, and then they didn't want to do the party anymore, and then I became the DJ that night.
0: You basically took over their audience in a sense.
1: Like you, it's half of it, because right. half of the audience left. Right, people that, you know, you know they follow Tip wherever Tip goes. Right. you know, but the other people that love the venue still came. Now I had I had a choice, which is another thing that was just dope. Damon DeGraff, who was a big big manager now, he owns a company called DGI, so he managed Cassidy and Q Tip and Mark Ronson and Samantha. At the time, he was um, he heard me spin when it was just my party. My party, I love the 80s, and I love today's hip-hop. So I would incorporate 80s and hip-hop. Tip was very soulful. Right. So you would go to a 70s. tip party, and you hear 70s and James Brown and real soulful Sly, Roy Ayers. Roy, Roy, like, you would hear all of that. So when I started to fill in for them, the very first night, I tried to play Tip's style of DJing and to play Roy and all of that stuff. And then Damon came into the booth and was like, dude, I heard you play. Like, do what you do. You'll kill them. Yeah,
0: don't do what somebody else does. Word. Do what he you He told did. me
1: that at table fifty, wow. man. And that and I just looked at him and the next record I dropped, I I won't forget it, dude. The next record I dropped when he said that was Sheila E. Mm. Um, da, 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 um, Um Love Bazaar. Right. Yo. And the crowd went crazy and I was just in my eighties, R and B killing it. And it was half black, half white crowd. I was having a ball. And that's really where I learned how to Play my style of DJing from that moment.
0: When you started DJing, man, did you come back alive, man?
1: Yeah, that that gave me life. Right, DJ. That's why I left the web stuff and DJing, DJing, it, it gave me purpose again. Right. you know with my first love, which was music,
0: and performing, and performing, and being yeah. in a, in front of a crowd, and being back in the scene, and not necessarily yeah. saying that you scene driven, but it's back to your roots. Tell us the story, man. We're going to end this soon, man. Tell us the story, man. I love the story about when Chris hooks you up with, at the time, your biggest assignment, which is DJing for a Puff party.
1: So Chris and uh, Jessica Rosenblum kept telling Puff, like, yo, you need to use D. Right. But, you know, to Puff, he was probably looking at Chris like, you just co signed him because that's your man. Right. And Chris was like, nah, you got to use him. Like, he's good. He's good. And I asked, I was like, yo, Puff, you're like, yo, when you want let me DJ like a white party? And Puff was like, man, get, he literally said, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> I never heard you DJ. Get right. the fuck out of here. Right. He was dead serious. Like, no, I'm good. But his boys, Rich Dollars. Rich Dollars. Used to, you know, he was that bad boy. So he was always at Kane where I was DJing. So he knew I played. That was my night. Like I was killing Kane. I was killing the canal room. New York, I was making on the New York DJing scene, I know I was making I was making that name. Right. But Puff had never heard me. Mm. And <clears throat> one Sunday night, I was asked to play at Lotus. Cool. I'm about to go on and then I got a message. Yo, Puff is coming. Uh-huh. Puff is coming. Yo. And so it, is
0: that pressure? Or is that oh I'm gonna kill this? Or is it both?
1: So I, I was I was arrogant because I was already killing the other parties, you know, like so knowing that Puff was coming was, I just knew it was like my chance to like really shine, to get him to, to. It's my one shot for him to hear exactly what it was that I was doing. Right. Yeah. And that was it, man. You know, Puff got there. I was in my zone, dropping those records, hit after hit, and Puff stood up on the table and he was like, yo, you're rocking my parties. You're doing my VMA parties. And I I ended up doing four VMA parties. Four VMA uh, parties. Yeah.
0: So. This is this is like during like the whole Hurricane Katrina. This yep, is down in Miami. Katrina
1: down in Miami. And the best part about it is um when I initially booked my room, uh, you know, I, I was staying at this hotel called the Aqua Hotel. And is what's what's crazy about that is you know the rates are high in Miami during any any of those Every event seasons. So I'm paying, I was paying $600 a night for this room and I'm thinking I'm doing something and I call Chris like, yo, he's like, yo, where are you staying? I was like, yo, I got a room at the Aqua. It's like 600 think, a night. And think, he's th- like,
0: thinking you're, thinking you're hot. Right?
1: <laughs> he was like, yo, never stay in hotels like that. Right? One, you don't want to stay in those types of boutique hotels. Right. You want to stay in the places, you know, where, you know, when you come down into the lobby, you're going to see people and get some work done. That's the whole point of these weekends. And um and I'm glad that I did. I ended up staying at, at the you know the uh Ritz Carlton and and that was the only hotel in South Beach when Katrina hit that had power because they had their own generators. And um and because of that, we ended up um when the storm hit, we didn't know how bad it was. So we just knew it was like, you know, just like torrential downpour and like no one was going out. So we ended up doing. I, I ran into the president of the hotel, asked him if he had turntables, and uh, we brought turntables into the lounge, and ended up throwing a party. And they they made a lot of money downstairs, right. and they ended up comping my room, which you know was around four or five grand, and then you know two thousand dollar room service charge. They and comped, they comped all of that everything, shit, right? yeah. And so I made my money with puff, and I was comped the room at the. And you established
0: concert. your name. And established my. That was name. the biggest event that you did at the
1: time. PMAs, yes. The Puff Puff events, yeah, absolutely. He was the host, and it was and it was Puff, you know, like and there
0: were cats there, like like there was
1: cats there, and like, was,
0: like 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 the L.A. V's, like the like the Mariah Carey's. like there was the, all of those cats were down there, and they saw like cats that didn't know what that what you were up to at that time,
1: and they still didn't realize it was me, right? You know, like because the DJ were DJs didn't shine like that then, the host was shining, right. So all you knew that it was a Diddy party, or not even Diddy, but a Puff party. Right. You know that's that's all that mattered. You know now, okay, you come to the parties based on who's DJing. Right. Like, all right, I know it's gonna be a good one, but but then it didn't matter. But I did, I did my thing though. I was that was my first real corporate event. You know, um, doing the VMA Giants.
0: So ten years, ten years of pa- well, basically yeah. we're in the eleventh year. Right? Yeah, but ten years have passed, and oh. you've gone on to do like crazy shit, dude. Like you. Have DJed for the first Black president.
1: Yeah, and I, I, dude, I knew it. The first inaugural ball, I felt like I was on the outside, and this is by no means disrespect to BET right. because I love them as a family, and I love the 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 gigs that I do with them. But the first inaugural ball, I did the BET ball, and you know, I I still felt like you know, man, I'm not I'm not a part of like. The president stuff, like I heard Biz did, like not any of the official balls for the president, but he was doing like the the ambassador's ball, right. and like and I'm doing the BET ball, is like Wyclef and I, and uh and and I still major though, <laughs> like I'm not even gonna take. But in my mind, I was like,
0: this event is so historic, uh, I could be so much closer.
1: Not even, I mean, yes, and and I, this is what I put out in the universe. I said all I want to do. If he wins again, I want to retire after DJing for um, for the DNC convention. Mm. I didn't even think about the inaugural ball. I was like, I want the DNV, DNC convention. Right. I wanted that. And man, I, it really happened. It happened, and I couldn't even believe it. And I got the call to um, this is 2012. I got a call that, that asked me, you know, they knew I was going to be in Chicago uh, for a gig. I was doing a Hennessy event, stopped by. Right. Obama for America. I was like, all right, cool. Went over there and they showed me around and, you know, they asked me if I would do events, you know, to, to kind of spread the word. I was like, all right, cool. Got to this vetting section and I just made a joke. I was like, all right, so I guess I'll be hearing from them. Like, mind you, everyone that we know about with Obama, like, like all of these people, they were in there playing ping pong. Like it was really that kind of scene. Like
0: it was laid back.
1: I was like,
0: Laid back with a dude? purpose. Oh, I know who that is. Like, yo.
1: Oh, you know what I'm saying? So it was that for me. And then we got to the vetting section and I, I made a joke. I was like, all right, I guess I should be hearing from them. And they looked at me and they're like, You've already been vetted. You wouldn't even be here. <laughs> and I was like, Wow. Like that's cool. So I ended up doing um opening up for the vice president in DC, doing right. an event with him, and um and that was dope. I was ex- I was just excited about that. You know, and then I got the call where they knew they did their due diligence and they knew who I was and my history in music, and they said they created this program called DJs for Obama. Right. And um, D-
0: Aoki was part Aoki, of
1: it. Right. Aoki Cassidy, but they came to me. I was a part of it, but then they came to me and they wanted me to be much more vocal they asked me if I would be interested in doing radio interviews and to become a surrogate for for Obama for America. And, I you know, I didn't, it just sounds fly, like, right. yeah, I'll be a surrogate. Like, yeah. And it was actually major, you know, like I was, I didn't have health care growing up, so health care was my, that was the platform for me, you know. So I ended up doing interviews, radio interviews and print interviews all across the country about health care on behalf of Obama for America. And it was great, you know. I was able to talk about my own personal experience and why I supported universal health care, and um, and did
0: yeah. you find it odd, man? Like becoming passionate, talking about politics?
1: Nah, I didn't, because I, I was always into it. Right. You know, like, you know, this wasn't the first president that I worked for. I worked for Bill Clinton, but he was no longer president right. at the time. So,
0: what you what you do for Clinton, man?
1: Um, his Clinton Global Initiative okay. event. Um in new york um i played that gap when i when he sent me the check or whoever from his company or it was like signed by bill clinton william jefferson clinton <laughs> one william jefferson clinton way like it was crazy like, so that, that was my first right. like like real you know really getting in, involved with any politicians like just seeing that but, right. um, but like with with the obama thing it i think when when um when we knew that it was a an opportunity for us to have like a black president or even for Hillary, you know, it could have been Hillary, like right. a woman first, like it was the first of something. I think everybody kind of got into the politics, you know, like we all, it was, we it was, were engaged, it was so, so major, you know? yeah, and we were engaged, not even just when it was, when, when he was run, you know, like when he won, um, we but, were engaged from when Hillary was there. Like it was, that dialogue was just, I mean, everyone got into it, you right. know. So, you know, after he won and then when he was going up for re-election, like, yeah, why wouldn't I want to be involved? You know, like, yes, I want to be involved. And, man, that was that was dope, you know. And when he won the night of, um, in you know, um, when the election was held, I was in Chicago. They invited me to Chicago. I was backstage. And then when it was time for him to give his speech. Yo, I was right in like maybe like the Five. fifth or sixth row, right. like Kevin Lyles, like yo, I was a part of it, and I didn't even know I was doing the inaugural ball at that point. I was just a part of it, right? And a couple of months later, they told me they were going to send me tickets to the inaugural ball. So now I'm excited, like yo, I'm,
0: I'm going to be yeah.
1: I'm going to the inaugural right. ball, and then BT called me and they they asked me to do their ball again, and then Russell hit me about the hip hop ball, and I had all of these events, and then. Someone emailed me from the administration. And said, "Would you be interested in DJing the inaugural ball?" What? And I was like, "What?" <laughs>
0: what?
1: I was like, "Yo, absolutely! Are you kidding me?" And
0: I'll do this one for free. Would right. you've done it for free?
1: Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now that you know, of course, right? I would do anything for free. Right. You know, like I'm that guy. Like I enjoy playing music. I mean, if there's money to be made, yes, I want to be paid, but if it's an opportunity to just be a part of something special, right. yeah, no, I'll do it, man. And um, that's why I work a lot, you know, and uh, but yeah, then after I received the request to do that, then they asked me if I would DJ the kids' ball with the first lady. So, I really worked a lot with them during during the inaugural weekend, you know, you know I was invited to everything, and it was a great experience, you know, something, you know, I'll never forget, but the best part about all of that for me wasn't even the inaugural ball because that was very special. The best part about the president was when I first when I first met him, I was attending an Al Sharpton event and, you know, he gave a speech. And this was before I was involved with anything. He gave a speech and then, you know, at the end, you walk the line, shaking hands, Magic Johnson, everybody's there. So I stood I was away from everything. Right. 'Cause I I I'm not that dude. I'm right. not gonna run over and shake anyone's hand like that, you know. Um and man, he caught my eye and he was shaking hands and then he looked again and then he had his head to the side like he was like, Yo, what's up, man? And that's when I realized, yo, we really have a black president, and I could potentially be on this dude's iPod right now right. because he is of that. He generation recognized
0: you as
1: as D nice. As
0: D nice. Mm-hmm.
1: So I knew that's that, fucking crazy that moment. It was like, wow, like, they
0: call you D nice. <laughs> and then, and then
1: here's another quick story. After I DJed the kids ball with the first lady, I was my daughter was there. So, I, you know, I was saying bye to her. And then Secret Service came over and said, we need you to come in the back. What? And then they pulled me, you know, you know, I already had clearance to be right. back there. But they were they rushed me like, no, you need to come now. So then they rushed me into this room. Like the whole Glee cast was online. They rushed me ahead of everybody and pulled me At into front, this room. In front of Glee? Yo, dude. <laughs> Word it up. In front of the Glee, the whole freaking, every the cast, like, pulled me into this room. And in this room, it was like Roxy was there. And then I looked to my left, and it was like Sasha and Malia. And I was like, whoa, this what? is crazy. So they're like, all right, it's your turn to take a picture with the first lady. So I walked over, and it was the first lady, and it was um, Vice President Biden's wife. And, yo, Michelle was like, D, nice.
0: Oh, man. Yo,
1: that, I was done. I couldn't even lift my arms up. <laughs> like, everybody was taking pictures with them with their arms around. Right. I couldn't even raise my arms. That's fucking crazy. I was, I was crazy. sitting there like, <laughs> Like, yo, and she put her <laughs> arm around me, and <laughs> I was sitting there like, yo, this is the first lady. Paralyzed. Like, no matter how you look at it, yeah, black president, black first lady. At the end of the day, man, it's the first lady. Right. In the United States.
0: And you have a relationship with them, which is crazy.
1: I wouldn't say I have a no, relationship. No, but that... But yeah, a working relationship exactly. at that point. Yes, no. And and I contributed to, you know, n- no matter what, my, in my own small way, I contributed to right. it. And, and that, at the end of the day, if I never DJed again, I know that I went from working at Serena to rocking the inaugural ball. Right. And 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 you know nobody can say they can't take that away from me. Yeah. You know you can say was I the greatest MC? No. Was I the greatest producer? No. I'm definitely not, you know, not the greatest beatbox. Not the, I'm definitely not the greatest <laughs> beatbox. I'm not break the dancer. greatest. Yeah, I was a terrible break breakdancer. Not the greatest photographer. You know, not the, I wasn't the greatest programmer. Not but the, you've done
0: some of the greatest you know, I've, events. I've been a part. of I, I, so I'm not many even going to go into the joint where you was DJing and stevie wonder was fucking singing freestyling next to you man
1: that uh, that. that's
0: crazy like internet please look on that or google that
1: or google d nice helicopter and you'll see hennessy built the dj booth for me during ultra music fest and the the dj booth was about as wide as this chair right um so i mean you you guys can't see the chair so i'm sitting on like a a little... It's like a love love seat. seat. It's like a love seat. So the table, the DJ booth was about as wide as a love seat and um, they had full lights on it and they had the RF signal so I was literally DJing above the Fountain Blue Hotel attached to a helicopter (laughs) while I was DJing. Illuminati. Word. And that right there was like Ah, with a full diving team under me. Just in case. Just in case. The helicopter lights were off and all you saw was this a stage midair with me DJing and Samantha Ronson introduced like to me that outside of the inaugural ball and, and Stevie wonder, I won't forget that. Cause that's just like, <laughs>
0: that's some, that's some bionic man, fucking fu-
1: futuristic shit. Words. Listen, so, man,
0: it's 2014, man. Yes. A handful of things that you're doing right now.
1: Oh man. What's coming up now? Um, you know, outside of um, essence fest, you know, and it, it's all corporate stuff from right. with Verizon, with State Farm, with with Essence, with um you know of course BET Experience. Right. Um, I just signed on to do this tour with Heineken. Nice. Uh, it's Clark Kent and I. Nice. Um, doing Babyface's wedding, you know, in two days. Right. Um, I mean, just a bunch. It's all private stuff, man. In uh, you know, I'm at the Borgata once a month, the Borgata Casino. I play at some of the casinos. You know, I'm at Marquee coming up. Um. And it's all of the spots where you normally wouldn't see hip-hop DJ, and it's because I don't just play hip-hop music. Right. So, you know, some nice people get mad at me because they may know me as being the rap dude, and they may walk into a Ph.D., and they're looking at me like, why is this dude playing Martin Garrix? What's going on, D-Nice? Right. What happened? <laughs> but it's it is what it is. This is why I work, because I play for who's in front of me. Right. You know, and, and and it
0: has to feel right. You play for who's right. in front of you, mm-hmm. but it's still natural.
1: It's natural because I love music, so it doesn't matter what it is. I just love music. That's what people may even try to forget. Like you know, like clock drops all the time. Bon Jovi or, or yeah. you know, Nirvana or whatever he's dropping. You know, like you, you play for the people in front of you, but you play
0: what you like also. This shit is a fucking fairy tale, man. What the fuck is next for you, D Nice?
1: Ah uh, man, what's what next? what's next for you? Well, you know, I just did a deal with Leica Cameras. So I'm a global ambassador now for, an ambassador for Leica, brand ambassador um, for Leica Cameras. Um, you know, my Hennessy deal, I redid the hit deal the top of the year. Working on a book deal, having an offer now with HarperCollins for a coffee table book. So I'm doing that. Just shot a campaign for Nike. And, y'all, I just, honestly, I don't know what's in the future. You know, yeah. like I just know in this moment, man, I'm having a ball, you know, and, and it's not about how much money. It's really about the experience. You're happy. I'm happy, bro. Happy. Yeah. And
0: you never thought this would happen. No. My last question. Yes. Yes. For that cat that's out there right now, that is at rock bottom, and they don't know how the fuck, the the, the weight on them is so heavy, they don't know how the fuck they're going to get to the next day. They know that they're special, but they don't know how they're going to get to the next day. If there is a secret, what would you tell them?
1: My secret would be to not listen to what other people have to say, you know, like to follow your heart, you know, like that was the biggest thing for me was that I didn't listen to people, including some members of my family. You know, when I told them that I wanted to DJ and I was only making $175 a night to DJ, they looked at me like I was crazy because they didn't see the big picture. And DJs weren't as hot as they are now, you know. I just knew... I wanted to find closure with my own career, with the rap career. And I was going to do it with DJ. I'm glad that I followed those instincts and I, I never gave up. And, uh, you know, you just never know where your life will be. You know, like I always use those. Those are like real lessons that I learned during the times where, where I had nothing going on. You know, it, it's, it built real strength in me. And, um, you know, so I would just tell that cat to just don't, you know, don't give up on yourself, man. If you have a dream, you know, um, just work hard at it, you know, and, and don't be afraid to learn and to listen, you know, like you, you're going to have naysayers, but don't be afraid to, like, pick up a book or just listen to someone else and listen to someone else's story and to be inspired by it. You know, um, I'm inspired by so many people and, and, and not just the Chris Lighties and not just the Puffs. You know, I mean, I, another, you know, quick story, dude, I, I was I know that I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing right now.
0: Hell yeah. You know?
1: I, w- I was walking down Eighth um, uh, Street, and um, I'm sorry, it was Spring Street or wherever um, the Morrison Gallery is. I was walking past the Morrison Gallery, ten o'clock in the morning, on my way to a meeting, and I happened to look in there, and every, I I knew every image that was in the Morrison Gallery. I was like, "Oh shit, this is Jim Marshall's work," and I walked into this into the into the gallery, and Jim Marshall was in there, mm. legendary photographer. Shot all, you know, everyone from Janis Joplin to the Johnny Cash sticking his middle finger up at the prison. Like, he shot all of that, you know. And it was just he and I in there, along with the woman who ran the gallery. And he was setting up for a show. And I introduced myself, told him I was a fan. I had my camera around my neck. And this dude was kind enough to walk around and tell me the story behind every single image that was on the wall. And he told me the story of being in the prison. Told me the Aretha Franklin story. Then we went upstairs. There were more pictures upstairs in the other gallery area, and told me other stories. And when we came back downstairs, um, you know, I said bye, and the and the the woman that was there was like, "Don't you want to take a picture with him?" And I, you know, I'm not really, I'm a kind of a shy dude when it comes to. I don't really like being in front of the camera. I like taking pictures. I ended up taking a picture with this guy, and then like a month later, he died. Damn. And. I was meant to meet that dude right? because that is my style of photography. I want to be able to tell kids one day. I shot this picture of Mary J. Blige in South Africa because I was sitting in Mary's house and she saw my camera and she was like, you shoot, Yo, you should come to South Africa with me. Literally just like, like that. that. I'll buy you a ticket. Come to South Africa. Next, you know, I'm in South Africa with Mary J. Blige photographing her and Oh, why don't you open up for me? Now I'm opening up for Mary J. Blige in South Africa. And it's crazy it's like literally that's just the way it is and and I'm doing these things that people thought that I was wasting my time with right and now these are the same things that are providing my family with happiness and health care and sending my daughter to college you know like I didn't have this ten years ago right and I'm glad that I follow my instincts so I would just tell that kid man don't don't give up on yourself man and uh stay focused and and don't be afraid to dream.
0: D nice man you are a very special man man appreciate it and, 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 and I wish you man continued success thank you and and happiness and internet. I know that this was a long episode but at the end of this episode if y'all are not in your fucking offices or in your apartments or wherever the fuck you listening to this shit giving this man a round of applause I don't know what the fuck is wrong with you D nice my man thank you very much man round of applause man my man yo listen internets you know what it is man dream those dreams and then man up and live those dreams cause the life Without dreams, is black and white, and the universe flows in technicolor and surround sound. Plow, plow, bitches, plow. plow.